0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter, our 2018 presenting sponsor, your own personal scouting department. I just went to the All-Star Game in Los Angeles. Guess what? ZipRecruiter is throwing an All-Star Game 365 days a year. Their powerful technology distributes your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, then identifies the right people with the right experience. All-stars! All-stars! and invites them to apply to your job. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. Right now, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event for NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever. You know what to do. All you have to do is use promo code BS. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Don't forget to check out the ringer.com where I think the entire staff has lost their mind over how great Black Panther is. We're we, we're just turning the ringer.com into a Black Panther site. Lots of good pieces up there right now. We also have Oscars coming in less than two weeks. We have some really fun stuff planned on the video audio side for that. I would encourage you to check out the big picture with Sean Fantasy. We're gonna put out a big podcast of all the interviews that I did. And more importantly, fantasy did because he did more with some of the best directors and stars that were involved with the Oscar race this year. So keep an eye out for that. And don't forget to check out all of our podcasts on the ringer podcast network. Just go to the ringer.com slash podcast. I talked on Friday. I said, there was a chance we might have Kevin Durant. People sent in some great mailbag questions. I have them in a document. They're ready to be uh, to be executed when we get Mr. Durant in a room, which I think will happen in the next two to three weeks. It's going to happen in Oakland. I thought it might happen in LA. I was a little dubious because there's a lot going on here and uh, and we're pushing a couple weeks. But thank you. They Don't send any more questions. I have more than enough. We're going to pin him down. It's going to be like Frost Nixon. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk to... Cousin Sal, and we're also going to run this interview that we did with Daryl Morey that uh, is really good, because Sloan Conference is coming up in Boston. First Pearl Jam. All right, we're going to call Cousin Sal in a second. I want to talk about something that happened this weekend with uh, Adam Silver kind of opening the door for changing the NBA playoffs to a one through 16 seating situation where you throw the conferences out. This is something I'm passionate about. I think it was 2007, I wrote a piece, it might have even been for ESPN the magazine, about the entertaining as hell tournament, which if you've... If you've uh, consumed my content for the last 10 years, you've probably heard me mention a hundred times. But the idea of the of the tournament was that instead of just letting people throw away the last six weeks of the season, the reason I wrote about it, I think was in 07, everybody was tanking for Durant and Odin. So my thought was if you had a tournament for the two eight seeds in the playoffs, it would it would make it almost impossible for teams to just shut down players, which is what was happening. Like that year, the Celtics shut down Paul Pierce when he could have come back and all that stuff. So my thought was, if you guaranteed the first 14 seeds, so the the one through seven in each conference, but then you said the eight seed was available in each conference for a play-in, you had a 16-team play-in, you put it somewhere, you made it a week-long thing, and then the winners got the two eight seeds, But then they played a final game and they got like, you know, the 15th pick in the draft and $5 million or whatever, whatever you made it, that that would just be more fun than what was going on. So people really liked that. Adam was not the commissioner at that point, but I had talked to him a bunch of times over the over the next five or six years about it. And he it always seemed like he wasn't totally happy with with uh, the way the playoff system was. So. Over the last five years, there's been a little more momentum. They're obviously tanking. People talk about it every year, and that's been a disaster. And I've been tweaking this idea over and over again. I put it on Twitter yesterday, but I wanted to just put it here so you guys could hear it. And uh, and just really talk about it. I just think this is better. Tate, you be ready over there because I'm going to throw this at you. So first of all, let's start with the one through 16. If you did it right now, here's what it would look like if the season ended today. Houston would play the play the second play in team. Golden State, number two seed, would play the the top play playing seed. Then it would be three Toronto versus 14 Philly. That would be an awesome series. Four Boston versus thirteen Portland. That'd be weird. Five, Cleveland versus twelve, Denver. Actually, I like Portland and Denver in those matchups, (laughs) by the way. Uh, Six, San Antonio against 11, Oklahoma City. Seven, Minnesota versus 10, Milwaukee. And then eight, Washington versus nine, Indiana. That's just more fun than whatever the hell we had going on. Now, um, if you had the playing tournament, because we only locked down 14 seeds, you would have Utah, the Clippers, Miami, Detroit, and in my opinion, the sleeper of the whole thing, the Lakers, because I like the way the Lakers have been playing. Uh, I think Utah would probably be favored. The, the stealth sleeper I had was Dallas, just because of Rick Carlisle and Dennis Smith, Mike, at hot, and Dirk, and they slow stuff down. The concept would be you'd have, you'd have basically it's a sweet 16, single elimination. Um, I would have it so that there were home games for the higher seed the first two rounds. So maybe you have over the course of like uh sat maybe it starts Saturday and Sunday and you have four games each day and you just knock all the knock all the games out and get to the final 8 and then on Tuesday and Wednesday you have the next two rounds to get to the final 4 but then I would put the final 4 in a location Tate what would be the best location for this the final 4 Playing for the playing seeds. Would you go Vegas? I'm going to MSG. MSG? MSG. What about Seattle? To make up Maybe, to the people yeah. of Seattle for yeah. ripping
1: the Sonics away from them. That's a nice that's a nice gesture. MSG me. would be good too. Yeah. Just put it in the Mecca the first time and then we'll go from there.
0: Yeah. So you do the final four and then you go back to back days. So you do Saturday, you do the two games, and then Sunday you do the title, which is a little grueling, right? But then you have five days off before the playoffs. Um, first of all, I'd like to meet anybody who's not watching this. I think this would be fucking awesome. I I just really like, I can't believe they haven't done this yet. It would be incredible, especially when you got to, uh, you know, the final four where the stakes are, you get into the playoffs, but I would also have a couple added wrinkles. And I thought about this a lot. You don't want to have the draft pick be too good because you wouldn't want people tanking to get into the tournament. But I think you could give the team that wins the whole thing could get the top pick of the second round. So before the second round starts, they get pick 31. And that's a nice that's a nice pick, right? You yeah. get a nice cheap sour thing. The other thing I would do is I would give them a $5 million trade exception for the following year. So you have two like real things. There's real reasons to try to win the whole thing. Now, Daryl Morey, my friend from Houston, who's coming up a little bit later, he was saying after it's decided and you have your two playing teams, that the top two seeds should be able to pick who they play. So we get it all. You have all the seeds, one through 16. And then the one seed says, nah, actually, we don't want to play the 16 seed. We'd rather play the 13 seed. We'll go with them, which is great for a couple of reasons. One, it sets up a scenario of, the 13th seed being totally disrespected. <laughs> they wanted us. They got us all that stuff. The drama of them, pat. That you, I mean, you could televise that that could be like a special episode of the jump or something where we find out what the actual matchups are. So that would be cool. The second thing is this is, this is the way for the NBA to dump eight regular season games because they could make up the money. So let's, I mean, we all, we all know now that the regular season should be shorter if you got down to 74 and you got that, basically everybody loses four home games. You could make up all the money with this tournament because there's 15 games total. Now I'm not sure if they could sell it or maybe, maybe they convince uh, the local affiliates and the owners, and maybe they probably lose two ESPN games and two TNT games because they shorten the season. You make, you make it up to them by giving that, letting them split this tournament And actually, you could probably make more money from it than you could from those eight games because I think they could sell this. This is 15 games. It's 15 nights. What could they sell that for, Tate? I mean, that's 15 playoff games, basically. It's a lot of money. The entire playoffs, I think, is like 55 games, something like that. Mm -hmm. Be pretty good. Who do you think would win? Utah, Miami, Clippers. Yeah, I think it's got to be the Jazz, right? They won 11 straight. The way they're playing right now? Yeah, Yeah. Quinn Snyder. Guess what? I want to find out. I think this is so much more interesting. And then when you have the one through 16, the other wrinkle I would have is I would go best of five in the first round. I would go back to that because the first round's too predictable. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a seven-game series, it's just too easy for the slightly better team to have the advantage. I would go best of five with the wrinkle that the one seed and the two seed get four home games out of the five. So they would host 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 at home. And if you're going to beat them, you really have to beat them. And the the uh the two lowest seeds would get game 3 at home and that's it. But I think this would work. Tate. Yes. What is your whole? What is your thing that what is your thing that you think Now, here's the one reason
1: this won't work. I'm worried about the uh the history of it all. Like not being able to match up. But I guess when you have the five game series, it already you know, it's already changed before. So that's that's more of my concern. Just that we can't match up the two eras or we split it like this is a different era. Interesting. It's, yeah.
0: Cause I remember when uh when T V really took off with basketball in the nineties, when like everything was on, once everybody had cable and the broadcasts were better and all that stuff. In the mid nineties, those best of fives were awesome. Mm-hmm. In the early 90s, too, like Charlotte and Boston had an awesome best of five once when Alonzo won it in game four with the thing. But that whole era was so unpredictable. And it was like, if you lost one of those first two games, you might not come back home. You know, like the Celtics had home home court in 93. And I think they lost game one. But that was it. It was like, oh, I hope they come back for
1: game five. They Mm -hmm. never did. Um, I just think it'd be better. And I like the, five games and people seem to go all out too in the five game series because you yeah, don't have the time. you have
0: to mm-hmm. you can't screw around the mm-hmm. seven is like you can blow the first two and still win yep you know you can make up for it after the fact so anyway i uh I really feel like this has a chance I think they're ready I think Adam's ready to do two things I think he's ready to to tweak the playoff system a little bit because they have so much momentum during the season now, especially with basketball Twitter and the ratings are up 20% and the marketability of the players, all that stuff, that then follow that up with like just a shit round one where it just goes on too long. You know who's going to win every matchup. The same kind of teams are playing each other every year. There's kind of no unpredictability. If the All Star game, which we're going to talk about with Sal in a second, if the All Star game showed us anything yesterday, it's that kind of shaking the snow globe works. The reason those guys were playing hard was because it was weird because they were playing with guys they'd never played with before and teammates were going against each other. And you see like the last play of the game, Curry has that three and Durant knows what he's going to do. I thought there was a level of, of uh gamesmanship and competitiveness that I haven't seen in the, from the all-star game in 13 years. I thought it worked. And I, I really like seeing the weird combinations. I love seeing Kyrie and Westbrook and LeBron and, uh, and that, Durant rant on the same team was fucking amazing.
1: And that was the play. Like the game wouldn't play to LeBron. It's like a Russell Westbrook drive past to Kyrie on the baseline, Kyrie back to LeBron for a lay-in, you know, yeah. to take the lead. It's crazy. It was
0: cool. And to see like somebody like Embiid just seamlessly fit in there and and Giannis not being a thousand percent ready. He's like a year away from I think dominating that game. He didn't he didn't it was funny watching him he didn't totally know how to play off the ball. He seemed a little nervous too. He seemed nervous mm-hmm. and he has the ball all the time in Milwaukee. And in that situation, he's playing off the ball. He's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off a mm-hmm. little bit. Whereas like you watch somebody like Al Horford, who just knows exactly where you know, the sage veteran who's been in a million games and knew exactly where to go all the time. Or like Paul George, same thing. Paul yep. George comes in and he's just like that dude didn't need the ball he knew exactly what to do on both ends.
1: Even Lillard, um, when Lillard came in.
0: Lillard was good. It's it's a really nice... The reason that it was so sad that they screwed up the All-Star game like they did was it was a really nice litmus test for kind of who the best players were, what their confidence level was as a superstar and all that stuff. And um, I thought yesterday worked. I thought LeBron tried hard because he was playing for Team LeBron and he uh, he was trying to save face. So what I'm hoping is they fix the all-star game. I'd like to see them fix all-star Saturday, which is really still two events. I it's never, I've written about this for 12, 15 years too, but it's never been explained to me why they wouldn't do horse and at least do like a final four of horse. And I would much rather watch that than the skills challenge. The the reality all-star Saturday, I I didn't show up till an hour in because I knew I didn't need to see the first hour. Um, but They are trying to make stuff happen. They are trying to become inventive. And the other thing Adam talked about was the one and done rule. It really seems like he's going to fix that too.
1: Tate. Let's end it. It's time. Are you and Titus anti one and done? Definitely. It hurts college basketball and I think it also hurts the NBA too. I would like to see them go to a baseball system where it's
0: either you're going right now or you have to stay in college for two years Mm -hmm. and there's no in between. Mm Mm-hmm. And make the, and I mean, my dream would be a committee where we had 12 people and they would decide who was ready to come right in.
1: And I think the people too, once they get done with the, once they get rid of the rule, there's going to be a grace period where we're going to have some bad situations where guys go straight out of high school that don't work out. And then people are going to say, well, we need to fix this. This is the problem. But you you just have to let people weed themselves out on their own. Well, we've also
0: bit. had bad one and done situations. Yep. Yep. You know, like, uh, there's been guys who, if they'd gone right from high school, would have been top five picks, and then they, a year passes. Shabazz what, Muhammad, perfect example. Yeah. I think what happened to Ben Simmons at LSU was just a complete waste. We lost two Ben Simmons years. We lost one when he went to LSU and clearly was in the wrong situation, and then he got hurt. But I would like to see the baseball system of uh, either come in right away or you can't come in for two years. I would also like to see them boost up the G League, because the G League should be awesome. Mm-hmm. And unlike a college where the players are still getting paid, we just don't find out about it. In the G League, at least they'd get paid. Yep, they have a contract. And they get better
1: accommodations and, and all that And stuff. we get all the two-way guys now too, which is great.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, my takeaway from all of this is I think Adam has done a really good job these last five plus years. And I guess it's been five. And I think he is ready to start flexing. Is my takeaway. I my predictions over the next five years would be they're gonna completely blow up the playoff system. They're going to get rid of one and done. And I think we have two more teams. I think that's the third thing because if you have if you get rid of uh all the stuff goes hand in hand. If you get rid of if you bring in the high school players immediately, that takes jobs away from the veterans, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what doesn't take jobs away from them? Two more teams. Yep. 15 more
1: spots. 30 more spots.
0: 30 more spots. So that would allow teams to take a high school guy and just stash him. Hmm. Um, Maybe there's all kinds of ways you could tweak it. But, you know, I've been getting a lot of emails from the Louisville area. Or, Or I should say correctly, Louisville. So Haley O'Shaughnessy doesn't get mad at me. Louisville. Louisville. I would say Louisville, but it's Louisville, Louisville. You have to say it like you, you're you drunk Louisville. Uh, but apparently they have a state of the art NBA arena and everybody there is jazzed and fired up for an NBA team. I need to do more investigating, but that's, mm-hmm. that's the word in the street. You seem dubious.
1: I choose Virginia
0: over Louisville, Virginia.
1: Yeah. Like where homage to the Squires. Just bring them back the rich the oh, Richmond, we, the Richmond area Tate loves the, uh, the ABA. Virginia Beach area somewhere like Virginia that. Virginia Beach yeah somewhere like that they tried to get water. the Kings
0: once yeah
1: why not it's a nice little growing area they have a lot of tech jobs up there it's a very underrated area you don't think if uh, if if Louisville gets it bring Patino back as coach GM <laughs> yes. let's do this man I like it I like it that'll be good we'll get Chauncey Billups on staff That will be perfect. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, anyway, I think Adam's going to blow some stuff up
0: and I think it's going to be awesome and I'm super excited for it. All right, we're going to bring in the cuz. Let's talk about Gillette first. I have been shaving since college. You know, it changed my life. The Gillette Fusion Ultra Sensitive Skin Shaving Gel. Recently, I also started using the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield razor. I ordered it. I got four refillable razors and free shipping. Then every fourth order free because I subscribed Right now I have a scraggly beard, but I shaved my neck the other day and it reminded me how great it is to just shave my neck and not have cuts all over it because that's what happens when I use Gillette. Right now you can get Gillette Performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and realized you forgot to buy blades. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor. Get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at GilletteOnDemand.com. All right, let's call the cuz. All right, Cousin Sal on the line. On Wednesday, we are running the Best of Parent Corner Part 2. It's a 90-minute extravaganza of all of the parent corners we did from like week 9 or week 10 all the way through the playoffs. And then that's it. We we have abandoned our parenting corner. People miss it. More importantly, cuz. You, I, I just, I worry, but this is when you, it gets really dangerous for you. Like like yesterday I'm at the all-star game. All of a sudden we're betting on Giannis to win the MVP. Like this is when (laughs) it gets dangerous for us. There's winter Olympics, college hoops, some random NBA (laughs) NHL, some spring training baseball. What, what are you doing? What are you gambling on these days?
2: I was, I was at the Genesis open in Pacific Palisades yesterday, betting hole by hole on the, on the golf tournament. And, uh, Luckily, I ended up with Bubba Watson at the end, but it, it was a it was a long road to get there. Between that and Winter Olympics, it's been tough. I, I got excited when when the phone rang, but I I realize it's not it's still the off season, right? We're not back, we're not officially back yet. No, we're, yeah, we're,
0: yeah, it's like with preseason <laughs> Hall of Fame or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm, uh, I'm still licking my wounds from the Super Bowl, the sounds of the game, and inside the NFL and all those shows where they have all the people mic'd up. I I, I tried to avoid it. I can't. Now I've become progressively more bitter as it's gone along. I thought I was gonna be able to shake this one off, but it's it's not happening, so
2: Yeah, I feel like I've talked to a few Patriots fans and they say the same thing. The day after they were like, just like you were, well well we have our five championships, it's fine, it could be a lot worse if we didn't have Tom Brady and Belichick throughout the years. But yeah, the the off season is a son of a bitch and the highlights don't end. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be rough for you. I'm sorry. I don't know what to even tell you.
0: It really hurts the part when uh, – because I realized something a couple days later. Maybe I was in denial. I mean, Belichick definitely got coached in that game. But,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, nine and a half minutes left, the Eagles get the ball. And at that point, the only thing that can't happen is the seven and a half minute drive, which is exactly right. what happened. But during the sounds of the game, they cut to the Pats get the ball back with 221 left. Jim Schwartz goes over to Peterson and it's Mike, and he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna send everything, and either we'll make a play or or you'll get the ball back." And, and Peterson's like, "Great." So basically, he was saying, "I'm gonna pressure the shit out of Brady, and if they score in five plays, great, we'll get the ball back with a minute." I don't understand why the Patriots didn't do that, and I I am now rooting for Matt Patricia to go 0-16 in Detroit. I'm I'm shorting them. I'm betting the under for them. I'm I'm going all in. Screw Matt <laughs> Patricia. He cost me a Super Bowl. Why didn't the Pats just blitz and try to make something happen?
2: I don't know. I do know this. When the Patriots are, are playing great defense with no names, Bill Belichick gets the credit. And Now when Matt Patricia is, uh, forgets to blitz somebody, he's he can go to hell. But I know what you're saying. I've thought about it so many times with Brady. It's like, this guy is just, you know, he's, he's doing whatever he wants to do back there. Send somebody. You know, how, how yeah. do you want to get beat? It's worse. So, yeah, you guys should have sent someone somewhere in the seven and a half minutes. One thing that's interesting, though, when you got the ball back with 220, you were like a minus 260 favorite to win. Seriously? Down yeah. five? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, everybody. P- people, are, people are sick of uh, losing money on the Patriots. That, that's how sick they were.
0: Tell us about uh, the Winter Olympic stuff you've been betting on.
2: I've actually, maybe I should only bet every four years in the Winter Olympics because I'm, I'm hitting on a lot of things. I have the the gold medals under 10.5 for the U.S. And w- what do we have, like five? I, I feel bad <laughs> betting it. <laughs> wait, but, uh, wait a second. You bet on the under <laughs> for gold medals for our own country? I thought we were only winning nine or ten the way it Yeah, we own snowboarding, but uh, we have nothing else. We hit some of these slaloms, but what? What else are we good at in these Winter Olympics? Why are we so bad at some of these sports?
0: I don't know. We even tried to create extra sports so that we'd be better at all of this stuff, and apparently, it didn't really didn't really work.
2: Well, it's is it bad. because none of these are available in high school? Like that's like track and field. You know, you know, a bunch of people ran track and field, and it's nice to add sports, but yeah. if they don't have a program in high school in the U.S. We're going to fall behind immediately,
0: right? I would like to see us start cheating more. I think the other countries are cheating. <laughs> um, I think I think we've had a lot of success in professional sports with the cheating, and yeah. I would like to see us uh, move that more to the Olympics and really start thinking about streamlining some of this stuff. Put our best scientists right. toward it. Got to get better at I'm skiing. With you. Better more more red blood cells than the oxygen. Let's just go for it. Hey, uh, yeah. Yesterday with the all star game and celebrity, all, all that stuff. Did you have all, were you in on all that stuff too, or no?
2: I had, uh, I had slam dunk. No, I didn't have slam dunk. I had the three point winning contest, uh, three, four, three contest. I picked that winner. It was a Booker, right? Booker. I yeah. Mitch. Right. I had, I had Booker and Gordon, so I'll count that as a half a win. Uh, that was nice. The slam dunk I stayed away from. I, I, I just, if DJ Khalid is, is, is deciding where my money goes, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm out. That actually right? should be a, re-
0: a way to get a refund.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't, no kidding. I, I don't. What, what are they doing with the judges up there? But who did you think should have won that? Think Smith got robbed? What'd you think?
0: I thought Mitchell should have won. But I was sitting in the stands. I called out Booker as the three-point winner before the contest, uh, Then I called out Mitchell uh, for the slam dunk. And of course, never texted you and and talked about uh, actually betting on either of them. I thought I I really like Booker. I don't know what his odds were, but um, I don't know if you could see. I I went to Saturday. I went to Sunday. Yeah, DJ Khaled was sitting next to Mark Wahlberg and nice. he was doing this air horn thing, DJ Khaled and by the fourth time it looked like Wahlberg was just going to get up and start hauling off and just punching him and he was just pissed off in general I think he was furious at his agent um, I haven't seen people that furious at their agent since our own agent baby <laughs> doll Dixon uh, with that, that kind of antipathy and confusion and anger but uh, uh But uh, Mark Wahlberg was not happy to be there. I have no idea what they're doing with the dunk contest where that just keeping it one to 10 seems crazy. If the score is up to 50, why not just have everybody rate the dunks from one to 50? And then it's like, you don't don't have to either have a 50 or a 45 basically, or the two outcomes every time.
2: I think the problem is they, they approached uh, the, Panel with this, and uh, the problem is uh, DJ Cali can only count up to ten. Oh, so, is that what it was? Um, yeah, that was it. So they had to keep it one through. When 10. is it? He,
0: yeah. Are we at the tail end of this DJ Cali thing? <laughs> I
2: don't know. You got to get Corolla going on him. Not, uh, not not a huge fan, but he's uh, fun. He's he's fun. I no, don't know. He's t- fun.
0: Tate, does your generation is this is this like a your generation thing? DJ Khaled.
1: He's been famous for like ten years, but now he's like popular. You know, general public. famous. Do you find
0: him humorous or funny in any way? No,
1: he's never been humorous or funny. He made I, music. I, I think he's presenting himself as humorous and funny. He used to yell "We global" all the time, which was entertaining. But now it's uh, it's worn. It's welcome.
0: The the amazing thing yesterday. What was yesterday's date? Two nineteen. Two eighteen. Two eighteen. It's a, it's a borderline remember the events of 218 because Kevin Hart came out and uh, it was the worst 14 minutes I've ever seen in person. It was right. not only was it not funny, it was it was confusing, it was weird. Uh the audience everyone in the room was like what the hell is going on? It it wouldn't stop. People were there for basketball. It just kept going yeah. and then it led to him introducing all the all stars and kind of like roasting them, but not in a funny way. And right. uh, and just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Fergie came out and sang the national anthem and did it like Marilyn Monroe style.
2: <laughs> Fergie saved; she saved Rob Riggle and, and Kevin Hart because all the vitriol was going their way. And I tweeted that. Well, I know that the M.O. for the NBA All-Star Game is to not try hard, but this yeah. this sketch takes it to a different level with Rob Ringle and Kevin Hart. It was really that bad.
0: Was and, and what's funny is the game itself was really good, so everybody kind of forgot awesome. about it. But the first 20 minutes was... Uh was shaky. My favorite part was uh, our cousin Jimmy was sitting right next to Spike Lee, who is, yeah, <laughs> not exactly uh, the most hilarious guy alive. It's just like, just <laughs> to sit next to Spike Lee for four quarters. It's Jimmy J- and Mark it's just Wahlberg bruids. were
2: uh, frantically trying to uh, set up a trade for their seats. I don't know. It didn't didn't work out at they the should, end. But.
0: They should have given Jimmy an air horn. Um, let's quickly next <laughs> yeah, week. I
2: thought uh, that, I thought that was the best all-star game this decade. And, uh, I, uh, that I know that's not saying a ton. People get at me for the baseball all-star game that I went 15 innings, but I remember just wanting that to end, but that, that was a great ending. It sucks that they, you know, down 13 team LeBron decided to play defense and they, they're just able to do that. And it pushed for a gambler's perspective. That freaking game pushed. They were, they were covering for like 22 seconds. Team LeBron favored by yeah. three. And uh, and if and it pushed, or if you got two and a half at one,
0: I have no idea why the new world rules worked and inspired everybody to play harder, but they absolutely mm-hmm. did. It was, I, I had stopped going to the all star game because I just there's not to me the seventh circle of hell is, is bad pickup basketball, it just bothers right. me on so many different levels. This time, um, not only was were people playing hard, but even on the benches. You could see um, people were really locked in and jumping up on plays and trying to get calls and all that stuff. We bet on Giannis at plus five fifty. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, I actually thought Team Staff could have and should have won, and it seemed like he was on that team that the guy positioned to kind of have the biggest impact. And I actually think it was the right bet. And he didn't play well. I think if he had played well, he would have won the MVP because it was kind of sitting there. He had the most minutes. He was guarding LeBron. He uh he was kind of their rebounder shot blocker along with Embiid, who they were protecting with minutes. And he he I don't know, he he wasn't a hundred percent ready for that stage to be like one of the best five players in the world. What was funny was Embiid was. I I was really impressed yeah. with Embiid. And you know, I tweeted that and then you look at the tweets and the Philly fan's are like, oh, welcome to the club. Oh, oh congratulations, you finally realize Embiid's good. It's like <laughs> Embiid's played 75 games in four years. He's right, played, right, right. I looked it up, he's played like 2,173 minutes or something like that. LeBron's played almost 2,100 minutes this year. So mm-hmm. I actually think it was incredible that Embiid was able to just kind of belong on the court and, and do his thing with, you know, LeBron, Durant, Curry the best guys in the league, and he belonged with those guys. And I don't know. It made me increase the ceiling on him. Now, with that said, he's played 75 games.
2: Yeah. You know, you did a very bad thing just now. I don't know if you realize you even did it. And, Tate, you might want to cut it out. But you admitted to your listeners that you read the tweet replies. And I hadn't heard you say that in a long time. No,
0: the ones that were underneath. I clicked, oh, I, I clicked on the tweet. I clicked on the tweet to make sure it would go through because the Wi-Fi okay. and the Staples was so bad. And then I saw like the first two tweets underneath were like, "Oh, oh, oh really? Embiid's good." It's like, yeah, actually, it's kind you. of a big deal that he hasn't played eighty games yet, and he, he was, was out awesome. there.
2: Awesome. He's in his early 20s. How old is he? He's 20, it's like
0: twenty-three.
2: It and, and twenty-three. I gotta right. say, see. if
0: if I'm a Rockets D-ing fan, up
2: against LeBron, pretty good.
0: Yeah, and if I'm a Rockets fan. I know it's the All-Star game, but that was yet another uh, Coach D'Antoni special down the stretch there.
2: Yeah, right.
0: He had the wrong guys out yeah. there. What's funny is he, the most effective guy he had was Al Horford for what the game was. Because mm-hmm. Al Horford's a like good defender, doesn't care if he shoots. Um, but, but it's like he probably should have played Horford and Embiid together because Horford knew what he was doing. But Tate, you watched that game, right? I did. Not a not a Mike D'Antoni classic down I, the
1: stretch. I thought Embiid had a chance to win MVP for a He little did. While. It was
0: sitting there for like sure. five seconds. I was texting. we were texting the whole game. I never gave up on the honest MVP because it became clear if if his team won, there was no MVP. So whoever had a good fourth <laughs> quarter was going to win it. And I tweeted, I think, at the end of the third period, that um that it was sitting there for LeBron. Because LeBron, they were losing, but LeBron had the stats. And it was like, all he has to do is play well for one quarter. They win the game, they win the MVP, which is exactly what happened. And that was my my main takeaway from last night is, you know, sometimes with the All-Star game you, – you, all these guys are on the court. And they're actually playing hard, and there's this natural hierarchy that develops. And he was the best player. He still is.
2: Well, let me just say this. I I jumped on your Greek Freak MVP. I tried to convince you at the last second. Let's take LeBron and Curry. Maybe this is just too easy. Right. We're we're, uh, we're overthinking this. Whatever. LeBron, I think was thirteen to two to to an MVP. But I only gave up on the Greek Freak winning MVP once. And that was when he didn't play the entire third freaking quarter. Right, right. Yeah,
0: that was a problem. He wasn't
2: in at all. I was like, and and that makes me think like that's just another layer of why you shouldn't bet the NBA All Star Game. Like to bet the over or under is just insane. To not root for those points or to root more for more yeah. points. But to bet the game itself, you don't know who's trying. You don't know who's who's. You don't know who had a crazy weekend. It looked like Jimmy Butler. And the Greek freak just went out hard and, um, and it showed a little bit on their play. like you knew the Greek freak was going to get get to the hoop and dunk four times once a quarter, so you're going to get your 10 there. Um, but yeah Not Jimmy, I, it's, Jimmy it's Butler never
0: Jimmy Butler sat it out.
2: Yeah, right. yeah, that's it. He, he was what, I mean what was the story? He just didn't uh, he just didn't come to practice or what?
0: I, uh, unclear. It's an interesting yeah. move. If you know you're not going to play that much to be like, my knee hurts, I'm just going to sit <laughs> mm-hmm. on the bench, but it's the uh, alternative was me playing 12 minutes. I thought yeah. the way that game shook out, it was kind of impossible for Team Curry not to win because their their overall team was so much better than the LeBron team because LeBron had just lost like three major guys. So when the, mm-hmm. the bench of LeBron's team was in versus the uh, the Steph team, it was no contest, but... Steph was terrible. Harden looked like he hadn't slept for three days. And Draymond was practically in a coma. So yeah. that, that none of that was helping. That's why I would have played Horford, because Horford actually seemed like he had gotten a reasonable amount of sleep the whole weekend.
2: But The most entertaining thing is Draymond during Fergie's anthem. Go look, look it up. And my cousin, our cousin Jimmy, is, uh, is on directly after Draymond's cutaway. Oh, but he has he? his mouth wide open. When you talk about a coma. <laughs> Fergie, Fergie didn't help matters. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but look it up on
0: YouTube, my yeah. highlight of the weekend was I talked to Sean McVay for a half hour on Friday night and he was every, every bit as great as I wanted him to be. And he promised he would come on the BS podcast. So stay tuned for that. Oh, Great. He's like a year older than Tate. Yeah. Like he could hang out with Tate and you wouldn't, you would think they were the same age. But he was... Uh, yeah,
2: Tate thinks he's ahead of the game. You know, he produces podcasts, he, he stars in them. You need to get your shit together, Tate. You got an NFL head coach who's like four months old. Yeah,
0: you're still behind Sean McVay, Tate. Uh, yeah. Last thing, and then we're going to go. The uh, Oscars next week on on Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, America's favorite gambling podcast. Yeah. You're going to do some Oscars. We're going to get it going. You're going to do some Oscars. I know you
2: like uh, Get Out. I, I'm. We tried to talk you out of it. You think you think it's a winner, but I guess it's 15 or 20 to one odds. It's, it's, it's a fun bet.
0: Yeah, so Best Picture is really interesting to me because there are nine nominees, and mm-hmm. Shape of Water is minus 220, the favorite. Three Billboards is plus 140. Lady Bird is 11 to one, and Get Out is 15 to one, and Dunkirk is 40 to one. And there's been some industry buzz <laughs> that, even though those are the odds, that it's Get Out versus Dunkirk is how this is going to actually shape out. My mm. argument... Jimmy, we, you, me and Jimmy were texting about it, um, this weekend and Jimmy of course was as dis- dismissive and, uh, arrogant as always about it, but he, 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 give me the token laugh on that. I was, I was making a joke. <laughs> I'm trying that.
2: to think like, what, but it's, he, he was just, baited he was just, him into gambling on it. No, which, he didn't get, uh, he didn't know, gamble a, on it. No, he didn't want to gamble I thought he on said, it. I'll take your, uh, I think, I thought he said, I'll take your bet on this.
0: Oh, does, are we going to bet on this? This is great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it then. I'm gonna bet him. I don't know we'll if go. the
2: Oscar host is allowed to legally bet. I mean, they may carry him <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> That's
0: true. we have to back him out. But, uh, <laughs> but he was adamant that that get out that it was going to be Shape of Water, Three Billboards. And my argument is like, with nine nominees, what? How many votes do you actually need to win the Oscar? Yeah.
1: Like
2: if,
0: two. If one, all right. So let's say one out of every five. Just like they say, screw it. I like Get Out the most. Get Out was the coolest. Mm-hmm. Get Out's the movie I'll remember in 10 years. Whatever. Then then it might sneak it out. Right. Almost like how Trump won the election, where it's like, ah, well, I, with the yeah. math. It, and then it actually like, oh, the math can work. So, it's
2: exactly like Trump. It is. <laughs> it's exactly like Trump winning in the election. No, I think you're right. The one thing, like, you used to be able to say, well, this won the Golden Globe. It won the SAG award. It won this. So it's going to win. Um it's going to win best picture. But now that they diluted the pool, now that there's like nine or 10 uh, nominees, that all goes out the window. So it is going to be interesting. So that's my
0: argument. So like best actor, best actress, I think it would be crazy to bet against like Frances McDormand. I think she's going to win. And if she doesn't, the odds aren't really, I don't know. It's just, if she she gets like 40% of the vote, she wins. They don't show us the votes, unfortunately. But with Get Out, I just think with the nine, it makes it so much harder to figure out how a consensus would win, you know, right. and somebody could just steal it. So, but you're still not convinced.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. I could buy, that. I no, buy it's a, that.
0: that. No, you're not convinced. Don't, I don't want you're convinced. I don't want your courtesy I, nodding.
2: I, I'm going to have some, uh, I'm going to have some ringer experts on next week and we're going to, we're going to tell you how to, how to nail your uh, Oscar pool and win money from your loved ones and friends.
0: I'll tell you what shouldn't win is call me by your name, which was basically a movie about two guys cycling around Italy. Yeah. Come on.
2: They loved it. No, that was, people that love that, was, that movie. It. It's
0: like, Hey, you guys want, want to go for another bike ride? All right. <laughs> hey, Hey, want to stop over on this hill? Great. Hey, want to ride back? <laughs> if, if sure. That
2: shot, <laughs> if that shot in the streets of Detroit, <laughs> does get any buzz. Like I think like, <laughs> Oh, it's Italy. It's beautiful. Look what they're doing to the peaches. Right. They're fornicating with the fruit. Oh, this is just the greatest! I don't think if it has any of that, uh, we're even talking about it right it's now. It's a
0: fine movie. It just shouldn't shouldn't be an Oscar, like one of the t- yeah. movies that can win an Oscar. It, and it's funny because it's it's convinced me once and for all that any movie set in Italy is forty seems forty percent better than it actually is. And it could be yeah, any movie. Right. Like in The Godfather, he goes to Italy, and those are the best scenes in The Godfather nothing yeah. really happens. Like he just, he mm-hmm. stares at Apollonia. They have this terrible wedding. He met her like three minutes ago and then their car blows up and it's like, wow, the Italy scenes, those are incredible. Huh? Oh, how about when they yeah. walk through, you know, and then like, there's that Diane Lane movie when she goes to Italy mm-hmm. that my wife always watches. It's terrible. It's like your typical terrible rom-com, but it's in Italy. So she loves it. So yeah,
2: I think someone should put this theory to the test. I think like, uh, like, Tyler Perry should take the Medea movies to, like, Rome and see uh, see what kind of buzz he gets. <laughs> if he Anything. Can, if he can go yeah. under a, a nomination.
0: Anything that's outdoors where they're just kind of walking around and there's a lot of wide shots of how pretty Italy is, it, it's going to do yeah. well. People are just going to think it's fantastic. Yeah, I yep. think yep. if Netflix, they're throwing all this money around, they should just say we're setting a, a, a drama in Italy. It's just a drama. Mm-hmm. And just things will happen. People will go on some cycling trips. People walk around, maybe there's a wine tasting episode and it'll just be great. Uh yeah. I get out is fifteen to one now. I still think I still think that's the best deal of any of these things. I could totally see it all winning. Right.
2: And also I think uh, you're gonna be I think you're gonna get out your checkbook and, and write uh, whatever <laughs> amount you're betting on it. That's what I think. But the, fun.
0: Uh, the shape of water, if that wins the Oscar, I'm gonna be very upset, is all I have to <laughs> that say. That was
2: beautiful though.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> I, I would. I mean, John Wick. John Wick too has a better case than The Shape of Water. <laughs> Terrible.
2: I, th- I think the three billboards and the current climate and uh, the strong women and all that. I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna get the most. The problem though is there. There's up. been
0: three billboards backlash though. People are saying it's like this decade's crash. Not a Going compliment. The other
2: way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Guess we'll see. Do you have a? Pa-
2: good. I thought ninety did- percent of it was good. <laughs>
0: Not, I mean, not, not, not the killer cycling scenes that, uh, call me by your name had just cruising around those bicycles, man. Woo. It's like five uh, different bicycling scenes. Breaking away had less bicycling scenes than call me by your name. Um, who
2: knew The Winklevoss twins could, could cycle as well as they did just throughout the whole movie.
0: Nice job. Um, the uh, uh, parent corner, we're running it Wednesday. I didn't know if you wanted yeah. to sneak one in.
2: I have one. It makes me sound like an a-hole, but uh, it's not great. But we found out my uh, four-year-old is allergic to dairy products, and I did not want a kid allergic to anything like this, just let alone dairy. I love ice cream. I want to take them out for ice cream. I want to eat ice cream, and now this little son of a bitch is allergic to dairy, and it sucks because we tested it out, and he swells up, and he gets blotchy and everything. But... I don't know. What am I? Am I allowed to give them back? What do I do? Or I just have to love them, right?
0: So you're saying you're personally offended that you've created a child that is allergic to dairy?
2: Yeah, it's one of the biggest one of
0: the biggest parental failures of your career.
2: It's got to be. It's got to be. And there's no reversing it, right?
0: The problem is the the problem with with uh, the the dairy allergy is you feel bad when you're having pizza. Yeah. You feel bad when you're having ice cream, like it's it's more, it's more it's more the parental guilt that it's affecting your right. life. You you don't care about his life as much as it just affects your life. It's like yeah, really we can not have pizza because this little yeah. this little shit's allergic to dairy. Yeah, my That's, my uh, yeah.
2: my son I didn't is like say it, but no, I, I just I want to, yeah, I don't think I don't know like if you were born and you you had the ability to make decisions and you said, all right, here's the deal. You could, uh, y- you either, um, can't, you have to go without ice cream and pizza for the rest of your life, or we'll take your left arm. <laughs> what do you do? You have to think about it, right? I would,
0: Yeah. I might give up a pinky.
2: Yeah. All right. A pinky for sure.
0: I married ah. my, I married my wife who is allergic to shellfish. Oh yeah. It's bothered me for That's 20 right. years. It just, it, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just really annoying. Like I'm having a good lobster, great clam chowder. You can't give somebody a bite. It's just freaking annoying.
2: Um, It's why you had to leave Boston, right? Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, there's this there's this famous story between us where we went to famous. I mean, in our friend circles, because she's told the exaggerated version of this story for 20 years. We went to Mm -hmm. a Fenway Park. We went. We saw Pedro. This is when I had no money. We're scalping tickets for Pedro because it was like I Mm -hmm. was like, "This will never happen in my lifetime." And we're there, and we're like in the fifth row behind the Red Sox dugout, and I got clam chowder and it was 99 it was during the 99 pedro season and she's like i can't eat that i'm allergic to shellfish i'm like come on just try it so she tries it and then she goes she's like five minutes later she goes to the bathroom just to go to the bathroom she's like i'll be right back and go to the bathroom she doesn't come back for like 20 minutes and i thought like she was getting beer or food or who knows but more importantly, Pedro was pitching and it. it was 99 Pedro. And I'm like, I'm not, right, yeah. not getting up. Like, what, what am I going to go wander Fenway Park looking for my wife? I just assumed she was in some food line. She comes back like a half hour later. She was like, I was just in the infirmary. I, I had to take Benadryl. I had a reaction to the oh, clam no. chowder. And I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, my God. I, I, I wish I had known because we don't have cell phones back then. She can't text. And, yeah. and then I'm like, you know, Pedro's starting like a two hitter. And I, I, I had my focus, like concerned for her, but also like Pedro's. Pedro, <laughs> that story has now been twisted over the last twenty years. To she had an allergic reaction in the seats. She went mm-hmm. off. I didn't go with her because I didn't want to leave Pedro. You know when they, they just kind of they take the kernel of truth and they just blow it out. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're married. You know, like better, <laughs> you know what they do.
2: Better. Have to be honest.
0: You know what they do. I know
2: they do. So what's yours? What's your parent corner?
0: My parent corner, um, I have a special wrinkle. I have a guest to work into my parent corner. Oh. Ben Simmons. Say hi to Sal. Is he
2: there? So, What's happening, Ben?
0: Yeah, this is the first ever parent corner we've done with one of our kids in the parent <laughs> corner. Um, so Valentine's oh. Day, Valentine's yeah. Day happened last week. And as you know, uh-huh. young Ben has has a girlfriend even though he's in the 4th grade that we've been monitoring. It's a nice cute um innocent relationship. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't say her name, don't worry. We'll we'll call her uh we'll call her Julie Roberts. So No, let's call her by her name. What's her name, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's all bears. So Ben decides he's going to get um his girlfriend a Valentine's Day gift. And he's with my mm-hmm. mom and they buy her something. And then he's in Boston. He's with my stepmom and decides he needs to get her another gift. Then he gets her a third gift. And then he asks my daughter to make her slime. He made my daughter made her pink slime. So it was all the parent corner worlds are now colliding in all these different ways. Cause my daughter is like, you know, a cocaine addict with slime basically. She's just <laughs> making it nonstop. And then brings this gift. It was a bag with four different gifts for Valentine's Day to his, to his true love. And, uh, it needs to say it went over great. Ben, that was a big win.
3: It was. It was, um, oh, one of the
2: best Valentine's of my life. <laughs> oh, really? It was one of the best Valentine's <laughs> of his life. Okay. I remember back in 2012, it you had a good one. But yeah, 20, the, the
0: 2012 Valentine, though, good, good cookies <laughs> that year. Yeah. So, uh, it's stronger than ever, Sal. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know ben, where this, this goes. That's this great.
2: And Ben, do you show her pictures of you meeting the other Ben Simmons, or does she not care about that?
1: What? Yeah.
0: Yeah, Ben. ben he met, ben. Uh, it was the Ben Simmons Summit this weekend at the All-Star Game. to happen. Incredible. That's great. So yeah, my parent corner is, no matter how young your kids are, if if it's true love, you just got to let it go. You got to let, let them spread those wings.
2: <laughs> right. Ben... Ben, let, let me give you some advice. It, uh, this is free advice. Find out if she has any shellfish allergies, and if she does, get get rid of her immediately.
0: <laughs> or dairy <laughs> allergies. She doesn't have any dairy that's allergies, right. No. right,
2: Ben? Either one. No. Yeah, that's worse.
0: <laughs> ben, what do you think her favorite thing about you is?
3: I don't know. Um,
0: you can talk into the mic.
3: Maybe because I'm athletic. <laughs>
0: You're athletic? I like you so embarrassed. Wow, what a parent corner! See, people listen to the parent corner—they're like, someday I'll have kids, and this is how it'll play out. Your son will give ben, somebody have you
2: tried the RKO on her, or any other uh, finishing moves from the WWE?
0: <laughs> not yet. I don't think the wrestling's a big part of it.
2: Uh, yeah, I will say
0: she didn't see you on Saturday when he was watching Daddy's Home Two while playing with a hundred wrestling figures. <laughs> probably, not, probably not ready for real work yet. Oh, ben, is Daddy... That's good. You made us buy Daddy's Home 2.
3: No, oh, that was Zoe. That was Zoe.
0: Well, one of you owes me $20 because that's one of the worst <laughs> movies that's ever happened.
3: It, it's a great movie. You can't say that.
0: Daddy's Home 2 <laughs> makes Grown Ups too look like Godfather 2. You don't even know what that means. Interesting. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is it... What's, a, what's the biggest movie in your house right now for kids' movies, Sal? So?
2: Well, now it's... It's Toy Story three. I don't know why they're all oh. into it again, but Toy yeah, Story. You like that one, B? I love Toy
1: Story.
0: His favorite, your favorites are Grown Ups one and two, Daddy's Home.
3: I like Grown Ups one more than Grown Ups two, actually.
0: Yeah, incredible. Was that the one with the basketball scene? Well, yeah. Great basketball scene in that. Okay, Chris Rock really exposed in the basketball scene in, in Grown Ups. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not great for him. It's right. I get
2: excited. Do you get excited when you you come across you stumble across a movie you thought your kids may have seen and then they're like no like I was talking with my son Archie I was like uh, yeah you remember that line from Airplane he's like no I never saw Airplane I was like oh my god we have to watch Airplane yeah, tonight yeah, yeah. What's so yeah that's we can watch Airplane
0: we did we just had that happen four weeks ago with Happy Gilmore I just uh, assumed uh, that okay. was like one of the first ones we'd ever watched and we never saw yeah, it a lot and. Of fun. It was like, oh, my God. And it was like really everything Ben wanted from a movie. Yep. Supports, people got hit in the balls. They were swearing. Somebody <laughs> lost their hand. Chubbs. Chubbs, yeah. Um, Sal, <laughs> against all odds, who do you have this week?
2: Uh, it's going to be me and the Degenerate Trifecta. We're going to talk Winter Olympics. We're going to talk the golf tournament. We're going to talk uh, Oscars. And uh, what else happened? Something. There's uh, a, lot, a lot going on. I don't know. We're going to talk a lot of stuff. And then next week, we're going to have some uh, ringer experts on to break down the true Oscar categories.
0: Excellent. And then Parent Corner, we're running on this Wednesday. Thanks for coming on, buddy.
2: There you go.
0: Good job by you. Good job by you. Let's talk about Belvedere. Wow. A great one. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka, the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective... Of master distillers. Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Belvedere's unparalleled quality reminds me of a run that my favorite basketball player of all time had in the 80s. That's right, Larry Bird won the MVP three years in a row, 84, 85, 86, won two finals MVPs, and yet somehow his best season was 87. He didn't win anything. But that was a great run. Kind of like what happens, what's happening with Belvedere right now. Bird and the Celtics from that era delivered basketball. of The utmost quality. Same for Belvedere. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere vodka today. And remember, always drink responsibly. Okay, coming up. My friend Daryl Morey. Got to know him with the Celtics. Way back when, the Sloan Conference hadn't even really gotten going yet. If it was, it was like in like two classrooms. This year, it's happening in Boston this week. It's now a giant conference conference center place. Obama's going to be there. I mean, it went from like I was the keynote speaker to Obama. That's how much this thing has grown. But uh, I put a lot of time and capital and energy into into spreading the gospel for this thing at the end of last decade, early part of this decade. And it's been awesome to watch it blossom as the advanced metrics revolution has not even become a revolution anymore. It's just become something that that is uh, part of the way we follow sports. Every year they celebrate it. They have all these panels, discussions, try to figure out where stuff's going. The best parts are like, the little, uh, the little side panels in the papers and stuff like that. We found Kirk Goldsberry, um, who became uh, a very popular Grantland writer for us and now works for the San Antonio Spurs. We found him because of the Sloan Conference. So uh, it's really great. I'm really happy for everybody there, him and Jessica Gelman, who he's been running it with since forever, that, uh, that everything is peaking this year with Obama. This is an interview I did with him in July. If you remember, he came on my podcast last summer and we did a whole thing. And after we finished, I realized we had never told the story of Daryl and it's a cool story for a variety of reasons as you're going to about to hear. But I think the big takeaway, I always get asked from people, you know, how do I get my break? What do I do? Do you have any advice and all that? And the advice is that twofold. One is like, you don't know what your break's going to be. Um, you just got to be prepared to work your ass off and roll with it. And and once you kind of open that door, even one inch, you just got to knock it down. And it doesn't really matter how you do it. And it doesn't matter what vocation it is. Like once you get the sliver of a chance, you got to knock it down. Tate Frazier is a good example.
1: Trying. You're
0: trying. <laughs> you just host a two podcasts now. Um, but yeah, Daryl is a good example of like, you never know how your life's going to play out, man. You really don't. Um, but you just got to keep plugging away and, and, and keep your brain moving. Anyway, this is it. This is a really good interview. And what's funny about it is we did this before the rocket season started. Now they've been, you know, they're the one seed in the entire NBA right now. And on top of that, his whole plan of getting Chris Paul and all that stuff, I would say it's worked out. What are they like 29 and one with their best four guys? Yep. So, um, Listen to it in the context of that. We taped it like late July, but everything holds. Congratulations to him and Jessica for the Sloan Conference. And here we go. Here's Daryl Moore. Wanted to do the uh, story of Daryl since you were here. Oh, man. I don't know if we'd ever done this. It's a good story. It's, it's a unique one.
3: Yeah. Um, all right. So starts in Ohio, let's go. where I'm a couple miles from. Yeah, we can skip the childhood. You're, Lebron and Maverick. And, oh yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and
0: Maverick were best friends. <laughs> No. So you were a slight underachiever, but super smart in high school. What college uh, you went to? You went to Northwestern? Northwestern, yeah. Did Wildcats. well at Northwestern?
3: think so. Feels like I did. When yeah.
0: did you decide you wanted to get into sports?
3: When I was like eight. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reading the Bill James abstracts and was really into baseball um, because, you know, I was a math nerd and. Yeah. love numbers that was the only game it wasn't like you couldn't download you couldn't get football stats or anything. baseball was the only game in town and uh so i was really big into baseball stats and all-star baseball with the spinners and uh stratomatic and so what are we talking early Erle- 80s here? weaver baseball yes yeah, mid mid 80s towards the end of the 80s micro so. league baseball any micro league you know i didn't play micro league i played earl weaver baseball in the commodore yeah. okay. 64 and um had a had a league with my friends that was a nerdy league yeah this yeah. is there wasn't yeah it was all male all male league as you might it's expect pre internet <laughs> yeah exactly uh, playing fantasy, you know, fantasy baseball and playing. Uh, you know, I, I was terrible at baseball. I played basketball, but was really into baseball statistics. So. so went to Northwestern, got a job. Got a longer, longer story that I won't tell. But uh, you know, I found a job nearby in Skokie at Stats Inc. Bill James's firm with John Dewan, the founder there, and got. Uh, and my wife worked there too. My, my now wife Ellen. So. So
0: this is mid-90s. You leave the Northwestern. You leave Northwestern. You get a yeah. job at Stats Inc. And at that time... um, They were just like, a
3: baseball firm.
0: Yeah, and I feel like Stats had not taken off yet.
3: Not really. Right. Stats got bought later. But it was growing. No, I mean, not even fest. Stats,
0: but just in general. Like, oh,
3: in general. No, no. It seemed yeah. like the late 90s was baseball when Baseball started, started to really come on. Obviously, the founding of Stats Inc. was a big part of that. Um, and... You know, while I was there with Mike Canner, he Mike really started the basketball part of stats, and I, you know, I was entering right. by hand like all the basketball statistics, and uh, and then I, you know, I got an opportunity in the '90s to I got part of their basketball book, their first basketball book. And I, I, I have that one. I know, and I put a Carl uh, Malone on the cover. I think, yeah, and I had a yeah. formula in it. And yeah, oh, that wow. was like that was like my first basketball thing. Was what was the formula? Uh, so Bill James had this formula called the Pythagorean baseball formula, which basically take your runs scored and given yeah. up and you can forecast how many wins you should have had from that. And it didn't work in baseball and no one had really sort of solved out of adapt something like that to basketball. And, uh, I, you know, as part of a Northwestern stats class, I basically adapted it to basketball and it made, made the book. So that was my, is it actually, my first claim to fame. Is yeah. it a
0: good theory? It like works. does it hold up now absolutely yeah it
3: still holds You just instead of instead of the square of your runs it's to the power of 14 ah. so and that was the key ah. yeah so my my history <laughs> Every, you've stats. lost all your listeners right about now <laughs> so oh
2: uh-huh.
3: my
0: history of stats was i was very early with fantasy sports me and my dad were in a baseball league i think starting in 81 that was Whoa. just batting average plus homers <laughs> what? It's amazing. This is like
3: the worst league ever.
0: What? Well, what were we gonna do? There, there was no way to keep track of <laughs> plus us. homers.
3: It was like that the, was it. So it was like you, warped ops. So if <laughs> you had like
0: you know Robin Yount and he had three twenty with twenty homers, he was yeah. a three forty. Yeah. So we drafted somebody for every position, and it was like three outfielders, <laughs> and then you had the guys all year. And if you traded them, you, it wasn't even like you had the was old. Was it stat. just the
3: American League too, or both leagues? I think it was both leagues. Wow. Ah. But
0: if so if I traded you Robin Yount for Mike yeah. Schmidt halfway through the year, they just we just swapped the stats. Oh. And then next week yeah, we
3: didn't even cuz uh, how are we going to compile the right, stats right. from
0: April May, June? It was it's like, like there's no internet.
3: Calculating the cap like if you yeah. trade a guy they, just, they you switch everything. Right. Got it. Okay. So
0: they would add so we, like every once in a while we would get this in the mail from somebody be like here are the stats and it right. would be like your catcher first base all these guys 340 290 310. Right. divide by the number and that was your
3: team and then the totals so the free swingers were great like Andre Dawson like I'm trying to think your league the guys
0: no stolen bases <laughs> no but like uh so I would have did,
3: changed your rules immediately you would have kicked me out what of the league you do? These, these are my dad's
0: friends <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, all like yeah. all guys that were at a bar I know so the then, saw your
3: dad at game two against the, oh uh, yeah yeah the, Cavs there, so...
0: He's sweating through uh, the Celtics. He was expecting... him. Yeah, have... I saw
3: him at halftime when uh, Cavs were up 75 to 38. or I think something. he might have left. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, that,
0: that, one of those games he left at halftime, he was so disgusted. That was the
3: greatest performance I've ever seen by a player. Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
0: so then in the mid-80s, a basketball league started. And Whoa. I think
3: it was one of the... It was called the Larry
0: Bird League, ironically. I wrote about this a million years ago on ESPN, but these guys... It was something Bird said about how he judged basketball players. He did points plus rebounds plus assists. assists. That was Larry Bird's thing. Right.
3: I think he might have stole it from Red, maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure, yeah.
0: So this league was points, rebounds, assists, and I think steals and blocks. And just add them all together. We called the Larry Bird League. And Larry Bird, of course, was amazing.
3: That was way better than your batting average plus home runs. (laughs) No question.
0: No question. So then we had that, and that was... That became once USA Today started doing the. Remember they would have the Tuesday stats. Yeah,
3: I loved it. Poured over. Then you'd have to like by hand like add them on a piece of paper. Oh my god! They the first like, spreadsheet on Commodore sixty four was like my greatest thing ever. Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, we the, didn't
0: have anybody like you. I think we had some. Yeah. I think I might have even been doing it. <laughs> so then football, my first one. When was nineteen ninety maybe? Nah. And that was. 1991 Fantasy i think.
3: football came earlier no you? i'm saying when that oh, my when first league yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but
0: all this stuff was the same thing it was like very primitive info because roto the baseball was like it.
3: late 70s because you had a 30 for 30 yeah. on that i watched yep. that one and then basketball came on like mid 80s and then uh and then you know football, football was, was like late 80s it yeah. was a little bit later yeah, yeah 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 so
0: then stats inc was really i remember the first time I knew about the Bill James stuff. I read the books. Yeah,
3: it didn't seem. Did you really... buy them? I want to buy them away from you. You got got them. Well, I got one on eBay. I was. I You was got on eBay, you. and I, I got immediately offered one. you. I offered you double. No, and you are like, I was like, no way. You can offer me ten Tuple. I am like, no. <laughs> like, yeah. So we got yeah, more, you have one. You more cake than me. So I was like, it's so simple. I can't outbid you. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> it was so simplistic. though the first abstract.
3: Oh, yeah. No, it was it's like 40 pages pioneering. And yeah, if you talk to Bill, he'll credit some other people. But he was the first one to put it on paper. And and uh, yeah, I mean, it's whenever I every year, my favorite day of the year almost is I almost always have to go to Lawrence, Kansas for a game. You know, obviously, they have top prospects and Bill goes to every game and I'll, I'll, I'll have dinner with them and. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's now working on like amazing. He had this popular crime, popular it's crime book, which is unbelievable. One of my you favorite books of the last it's so 15 good. He years. He saw the Kennedy thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, uh, he's got another one coming out. I don't think I can say anything about it, but he's got one that's going to be unbelievable when it comes out. So I,
0: the thing that's great about him, and is just a good lesson when people always ask, like, how do I break into this business? What's with blah, blah, blah. So It's always like, well, Just work harder than everybody else and throw yourself into whatever you're doing. Bill James is the best example of, I have an idea. I'm going all the way with it. Like he does the true crime book and it's like, it's like 500 pages and he spends 10 years on it he's like a lunatic with it.
3: He, he, I think the best thing I ever heard him say, and it was a non-baseball related thing. I asked him how he got into thing and his insight was like, look, I did poorly in high school because I love baseball and I like goofing around. Yeah. And it was l- literally, that's what made my career. You know, he's hilarious in his writing and his yep. writing's unbelievable. Uh, and he loved baseball. So the things that got him in trouble in school are what made him who he is today. So if you have a passion, just chase it. Don't care about your teachers. And, and go
0: all in. Don't go yeah, 90%. Exactly. The bummer for me with Bill James is that I just didn't know about him. Yeah, it
3: he was in the to. back of.
0: I was getting the sporting news back then, and that's how he would advertise. But I would just never knew yeah, about it.
3: it. It was right next to the guy on the beach getting the. Yeah, it's like what up. is that? <laughs> so. And then
0: I remember, like maybe eighty-one, seeing in a bookstore. Eighty one or eighty two, and be like, "What's that, Dad?" Buy might me not that.
3: have been a bookstore till a little later. Maybe. I saw but, it somewhere. I, you because I, I, I have them. the well, eight, Boston's a little more progressive, so they have those good bookstores. Ohio, there's nothing where I was at. So we had. Uh, I didn't catch it till eighty six. Actually, the green. The green I had cover the eighty
0: two one. one, so somehow I That's got amazing, that. Yeah, I don't well, know. Boston if I have the 81. has a history
3: of great bookstores, so they probably they might have carried it actually. Yeah,
0: because oh, the the uh, quality of them goes up.
3: I had to hope the Walden books would have something. Like, Walden books. Oh my God. Remember those? <laughs> Down at Summit Mall. And yeah. So.
0: So stats takes off. Yeah. And the internet changes everything. Yeah. And now all of a sudden loads of statistical information are going up and are changing how we're following sports. At the same time, Billy Bean, Moneyball, all yeah. that starting. And I'm then,
3: desperate leaving stats because I couldn't, you know, it was a very low paying job. I was like, I, you know, I can't make whatever forever. So I tried to get a job in sports. Not a single person said anything. This was in 96.
0: You're writing like letters and stuff? What are you doing?
3: I sent a letter to every team. You know, here's what I hope to do. Blah, blah, blah. No answer, of course. Um, Which I I wouldn't answer my own letter. So it's fine. (laughs) Um, And then just desperate to get into sports. So I I basically said, hey, I'm going to have to be super rich. Like that's my only chance. Was I have to be super? So then I went on to do stuff that had no chance to make me super rich. I like I was at like a pharmaceutical firm. I was at uh, you know a, a, a company that called Miter that works with the NSA and CIA. Um, and then I decided to go to business school, which is also a terrible idea to get rich. But it's I got lucky, got into a consulting firm, and that firm ended up working on the Red Sox deal before John Henry bought it and that was was my 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 key because the group that was going to buy them the local owners uh carp and o'donnell i remember who actually outbid yeah henry um i was like the nobody working on that team and but they kicked to me a part of the project which was like they wanted to buy the red sox and celtics together and then create a, a cable. I yeah, yeah. And, and that was ye- a great idea. By yeah, the way. and yes was just doing the same thing. Yeah. And so I got that piece of the project, and then of course they didn't get the bid. I'm I'm ready to jump off the building, and it wasn't but that
0: was always shady how they didn't get the bid either.
3: Oh, it was how, the, how somehow the highest bid doesn't the highest win the auction. Bid yeah, and. You know the reality was my memory was you know that our group wouldn't promise they would support their one of their proposals for i think revenue sharing and so it was a i bun think like yeah he yeah he greased i don't the know all, I, I was the nobody in the project no, so th- that's just ceiling. what i heard yeah um and then basically you know wick uh who i really owe so much to was you know had had gone to the celtics and put a bid down uh, but had like a, a one or two week due diligence period. And then Steve Paliuka, who knew the CEO of our firm Parthenon where I was at, um, you know, basically said, hey, we need to analyze this deal fast. And I think Steve, you know knew Wick and told Wick, hey, this group's already done really good analysis. And so uh, that's how I got on the Celtics group. You know, helping Wick to potentially buy the Celtics. And that was really my end. So,
0: I mean, that's a total fluke in a lot of ways. In, in many ways. Yeah. That's you know amazing. how things,
3: you know, you like to think you're ready for the opportunity because I had worked at stats and was such yeah. a huge sports fan and into all that. But, you know, I know some amazing people, I'm sure you do too, who just have never gotten that, that one little opening chance. We well, to- basically
0: had two because just randomly the Red Sox and Celtics are selling at the same time. They're in right. the perfect time for you to yep. be involved. Yep. And if it's five years later, neither of those teams are for sale.
3: Yeah. I mean, I when people ask, I'll get asked all the time, like, Hey, I want to get into sports. What do I do? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Like, like just, just be passionate. And, and, and when your break comes, Jump be ready to pounce." I will say, you know, working with Wicks team and Steve Peluca's team, on that deal, like, my wife thought it was crazy. I literally wouldn't come out. We were we were working 20 out of 24 hours around the clock. And when you see that little crack in the door, just plow through. Like, don't yeah. – uh, you cannot, like, treat it like it's 9 to 5. <laughs> At that point, like, you have to stand out. And I still remember to this day, Wick, like, day three into it, we were giving a presentation, and, and he – and he turned to me and he was like, you know, you'd look really good in green. I still remember that moment. It was like one of the big moments of my life. Wow! And, uh, and, so he uh, just
0: he there was something about you that he liked, and I, he's like, we got to just fold this guy in somehow. You
3: yeah, have to ask him. Yeah, and that's actually usually a taboo thing. Like you're not supposed to hire people away, but uh, I always thank Bill Achmeyer, the head of Parthenon, who you know gave you know permission to maybe have me join the Celtics. So,
0: so. did they say like carve out what your dream? Like, if you're going to help the Celtics, how would you help us?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really care. In fact, I think Wick almost didn't hire me because I was, like, desperately at, like, 3 a.m. saying, like, I really want to be there. Really. Right. And finally, he sent me, I remember he sent me an email back, like, hey, chill. Right. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, I, I I was acting very, like, a 20-year-old. During that, I was I was very, uh, it was, I knew it was maybe my break. And yeah. And so I, like, was, did not act rationally and was very desperate and, uh um yeah and then and then you know wick just had me like work on different things at the celtics and then he brought in he brought in danny ainge and rich gotham and i you know i was i was pretty young so i you know it was appropriate for them to bring in more experienced guys and uh, i just worked with both of them for a few years so when did you
0: become like the advanced metrics guy for the celtics
3: uh, I mean I always like that was the thing. And then uh, you know, I hired Mike Zarin, who's yeah. obviously almost a legend in the industry now. Uh he was in I hired him as an intern and he was working, I think, at the Twelfth Circuit in Columbus, like like yeah. one of the obvious probably the smartest guy I know. And he's uh and then he actually ended up getting to work more on basketball than me because he he just was an intern full time. Uh, and I was like splitting my time between helping with the business side and the basketball side. And yeah, so that and, and then somehow, some way, like my next big break was when uh, Carol Dawson was retiring in Houston. Uh, he, you know, he, he uh, our owner, Leslie Alexander, was like looking for a new GM. and He had been looking for a while, which I didn't know. And but he was looking for someone different. Uh, he, you know, he was obviously watching the trends of information and Billy Bean and he had interviewed, I think, I mean, he'd have to say, but I think he'd interviewed five, six, seven people and didn't like them. He but just
0: the, didn't want to fire the old school no. GM, the former player.
3: Well, Leslie's been uh, way ahead of his time for years, like on the pace and space and who he's hired. And I mean, everything. And, you know, I, I was helping a, a headhunter, Buffy, Philippel giving she was like trying to find someone to help fit the job so i was helping her for like six months saying hey because i didn't think i was necessarily ready honestly i'd just been at the celtics for i think three years and i was like hey what about this what about that and then finally she was like hey he wants to meet you and i was like oh <laughs> okay yeah. I'm in." i found out on like a tuesday and i was interviewing two days later at 9 a.m and 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 i had the job by like two o'clock that that day. So
2: let's
0: go backwards. Yeah. So you're at the Celtics. It's
3: like this is your life here, sort of Bill. Yeah, a little yeah. bit.
0: That's what I told you it was gonna be. Um you're at like 0-4, 0-5 range. They're revamping the team. They have a bunch of cap space issues because they had traded for Vin Baker's contract. That turned out to be a disaster. Then they I worked added- a lot on the Vin Baker thing, yeah, so, yeah, Yeah. yeah. Then Ray France like he comes in he's got yep. a big contract. Paul Pierce had a big contract, and they were kind of in salary cap hell for four or five years.
3: The Celtics fans were, we were beside going, themselves. We we're going nuts because not only was the team not good enough, and it had been many years since you last won the title. Uh, they, you know, everyone knew they were just locked in, yeah. Because like, there's no flexibility under the cap. And everything. So yeah, the Vin Baker thing was one of the big things I worked on, uh, and Mike Zarin worked on, and obviously Danny did early. So just
0: trying to figure out what's trying do with to it.
3: figure out because like he he obviously was had, going through some personal troubles at the time, and it was just how do we create a win win for him and the Celtics at that time. So uh I hear he's doing well. At when this did point. um
0: when did you start looking at different ways to evaluate players? Did that start at the Celtics? I
3: mean, that started Stat Inc. okay, in like ninety. So Six, like at the yeah.
0: Celtics, cause you're dealing with all this old school way of thinking and this, and this guy, no, he's a good shooter because that's his field goal percentage.
3: <laughs> well, I remember one big thing on that was uh coach. O'Brien was a coach. who's obviously a very good coach. And, and, uh, you know, he was, he was talking about how the defense was number one in the league. And, and he was looking at defensive raw field goal percentage. And, and, uh, I was actually working with Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel, yeah. the head coach. And, uh, he was, I think, the the fourth assistant, maybe maybe third or fourth assistant at the time, and I was he and Frank and I was really smart, and uh, and so was Coach O'Brien, and, and I was walking through like, hey, you know, that's not like you're we're really not number one, you realize that, and yeah, and it turned out they were number one in defensive field goal percentage, but we were like actually eleventh in overall defense measured the right way, which is really you know DER, yeah, right the here. rating, yeah. Um, and, you know, actually one of the tough meetings was me meeting with Coach O'Brien early and saying like, okay, yes, you are number one in field goal percentage. That's, you know, but you also are giving up the most open threes in the league. So, yeah, like you can't, we can't be packing the paint this much because like these threes are, are sort of killing you. He would front the post. So, yeah, again, defensive field goal percentage is low because no one got any like close in post-ups. But the reality was we were really low on defensive rebounding because people get inside positions. so our defensive rebounding percentage was was really bad. Then we also had sort of a no layups attitude, so even if anyone got a layup, we would just foul them. So yeah. of course, the only shots that actually happened were these like you know were either shots outside of six feet. If you're inside six feet, we were fouling you, and then we're basically giving up inside position on rebounding. And so when you adjusted for all that, I, you know, it was basically like, yeah, we're not first. We're like 11th. Yeah. And like, and coach O'Brien, you know, he's great. He was like, yeah, that's not, yeah, Yeah, that's not (laughs) not good.
0: (laughs) So you know what's interesting about O'Brien is those Celtic teams he had when he took over from Patino were kind of a prototype for how basketball is being played now. It was just with terrible three point shooters, but they were jacking Absolutely. up 25, 26 threes a game and getting to the line. The late
3: 90s Celtics team was one of the most unique ever. They were turning people over. They were playing pressure, up-tempo, yeah. and it was really innovative. The problem was they were giving up way too many layups on the other end. and just yeah. It just didn't work, and I don't think for 48 minutes – like the superstars of the league really can play that kind of basketball, but it it was really it's probably the last most innovative team that's been put on the floor in a long time.
0: It's it's not quite a thirty for thirty. It's like kind of a <laughs> half assed thirty for thirty. But <laughs> but I mean, there was one year Antoine, I think in the playoff shot like eight threes a game.
3: Yeah, and yeah. was
0: just that was what they are going to do. Yeah, Coach Bryant, none of them were
3: going in. New threes were good. I mean, yeah. he was way up there on knowing three was worth more than two, which is why. One of our, I was having a discussion with Frank Vogel a lot was like, if you know it's good on offense, you got to know it's bad on D. Like that that whole marriage hadn't happened yet because people were still running like Dick Harder type defensive concepts and, and, and a lot of those end up giving up more open threes. And, you know, like it wasn't until recently now you get the switching with long range of the The offenses have, offenses have adjusted faster than the defenses to the modern game, right. and you're only now seeing like the coaches really adjust to how the offenses are playing.
0: So, could you feel like setting up this how the Rockets thing happened when things started shifting? Moneyball comes out. Um, the advanced metrics thing is now becoming like this real touchpoint in sports journalism. Yep. How should we measure players? There's this new way to do it. The old school guards fighting back. This is wrong. Who are the nerds? Screw these guys. And I remember we were in Houston at All-Star Weekend. I I didn't know you that well. Yeah. Um, But I knew you and we, my buddy Sonny. Freezing cold. MVP of my wedding, Sean Sullivan. And we were out at the Four Seasons Hotel. And I was telling you you are going to be a GM. And you were like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, (laughs) it's going to happen. One of these owners is going to.
3: I know. He's going to look you at this You literally and say, predicted 100%. I did. I remember it. It's Listen, I'm wrong
0: a million times. This is one of the times where <laughs> yeah. I was like, one of these owners is going to yeah. be like, I want my Billy Bean. And I'm like, who's around the league? Who's like you? And there wasn't really there wasn't that many, I mean, right? I mean, at that Mike, point?
3: Mike is the other guy. He's going to get a job as well. Well, Mike's been offered jobs yeah, a million times. Yeah, He's probably smart. Well, now there's, now there's a lot them of
0: down. them now, though. Uh. There's a lot of like say, advanced yeah, metrics yeah. based. Up,
3: up, yeah, exactly, exactly. But in yeah. 06, there wasn't. You know what else I remember in that four seasons? I I had had too many. You were overserved. I the was other overserved. Part I yeah, and you saved me from like going up to a very I, I key made you executive. Yeah, I made you I leave. almost embarrassed myself completely, and you yeah. saved me. So uh, well, I, you might it. have killed my GM chance right there. You <laughs> so, could have. Yeah. But that was
0: yeah, that was like the big power hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
3: Everything was happening there. We had David Falk and one Jordan corner. Jordan was playing Jordan. Uh,
0: Boo, Boo Ray. <laughs> Boo Ray. <laughs> uh, but oh, yes. uh, yeah, and then like three months later, all of a sudden. It was three months later. It you're going in, yeah. and everybody's like.
3: It was actually Rockets- two months later, if you can believe it. Because it was February, and I got oh, yeah, in yeah. April of 06. Yeah. So
0: everybody's like, the Rockets hired a guy who didn't coach or play basketball? Uh,
3: our poor who the CEO- hell is this guy? Our poor CEO now, like Tad Brown, all the all the press hit of of the negativity of of you know our owner Leslie Alexander hiring me like hit and he's just dealing with like the radio guys calling me deep blue and like yeah they're, like they're calling the owner crazy and and like he had to deal with all that and uh, cuz I was like behind the scenes like it wasn't like right. it wasn't like I was like known or anything around the league i was like mike was maybe 10 years ago right yeah and so yeah the owner I'll, I'll never forget the the risk you know the the personal risk the owner took to give me a shot it was amazing.
0: So you come in and you realize that you have two of the best players in the league in your team which is an advantage.
3: That was nice. And I didn't realize including
0: much... Tracy who was like one of the early advanced metrics painted him as much better than maybe oh, the traditional ones.
3: Absolutely. In fact people were debating him or Kobe for yeah. a while. Like I still a, think
0: his ceiling was higher than Kobe's. Tracy
3: had two years better than Kobe yeah. ever had, pro- like just on individual accolades, yeah. obviously. Um
0: I also don't think Kobe could have ever won twenty two straight games with that Houston team. I still think that the, the, what team T Mac did with that realize team is T-Mack incredible.
3: Literally made that happen. Yeah. Like he You had seven uh, guys. My the moment I remember from the twenty two game winning streak more than any is where at win number seventeen. And Carl Landry goes down because we had lost Yao at game eleven. Yeah, Carl Landry goes down. And people don't realize Carl was his rookie year He was like just dominating, like just killing. And I'm like, oh, well, this is over. Like freaking Carl. I mean, he was key. I talked to Tracy, and we had just signed Mike Harris out of Rice. Like, yeah, r- I remember. How. Really, really good player. Still playing in China. Uh, and uh, and I'm like Tracy, man, with lost Carl Landry. He's like, what's wrong? And I was like yeah, he's been great for us. He's like, well, I'm making him great. Like Mike Harris will be just as good. Don't worry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like he was right. Like yeah. Mike Harris said, like this amazing stretch of like five games before he finally lost to the, the eventual champion Celtics that year. So T-Mac, he's, so, yeah, he's no. the lost career of that decade. T-Mac, T-Mac, made so many people better. Yeah. I mean, he, his people forget his passing was absurd. Like, you know, he, James now is like on his level, or maybe you could say better. But like both, I've been blessed to have two superstars who are like ridiculous passers. So,
0: do you think uh, I was a defender for T Mac Hall of Fame? I actually thought he was underrated.
3: The, Peak level, you can't yeah. argue. It. Yeah, he was the, the demeanor
0: player. that he had as a superstar. Do you feel like he was as cutthroat as he needed to be? I,
3: I think it. I think it hurt that people thought he wasn't. I mean. Go back and look at all his playoff statistics; they were unbelievable. He's one of those guys who got better in the playoffs. I respect those guys. Yeah, you know, you know, Dwight Howard, who people you know like to beat up now. He look at his playoff run with us; he is every year unbelievable. So, you look almost every player gets like ten to twenty percent worse in the playoffs. The guys who get better are the ones you want on your team. And Tracy was that.
0: What did you think were the big inefficiencies when you took over that quickly got closed? Because it seems like I mean
3: shooting three pointers was I mean that one, uh, that one's still coming. But like that was such an easy inefficiency, and and now everyone's catching up. That was a simple one. You know, I'd say like obviously the inefficiency of you know paint, you know shots outside of the paint, not threes. I think that one's pretty close. What
0: about for like how much success you had in the draft those first couple years? Oh, yeah. Using
3: using draft models. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, obviously Brooks, you know, Aaron Brooks picked late 20s. Carl Landry picked 31 that year, you know, even, even onto like, uh, you know, guys like even Chandler Parsons and stuff. But, you know, our draft board ends up getting. Yeah, you know, the the league is way more efficient in the draft now too. So
0: you like you really valued college production back then more than other teams.
3: More than other teams, I think teams like the Spurs were always really smart. Spurs were obviously yeah. way ahead on international guys. Yeah, that's caught up. That that was a big advantage that got closed, and then then the league overcorrected with like Skidish and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and Darko and stuff like that, and so. I actually think we may be in a little bit of an overcorrection on using analysis now. Cause you'll see us sign guys, you know, like Chris Paul's one of like one of the best mid range shooters ever. Like, you know, am I, am I, am I worried he's going to take mid range No, not, cause he's really good at them and it's going to add uh, a good aspect to our offense. So um, I, I would say there might not be an overcorrection or people using maybe numbers a little bit too much. So I, I'm hoping that will help us for a little while uh, that, you know, that, 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 you know, overreaction almost like the international players.
0: Yeah. That was probably the flaw of your team last year was you, you abandoned the mid range completely. And then San Antonio said, we're giving you 18 footers. We dare you to take them.
3: I I would hate to go as far as flaw. Yeah. Um, I do think you want to be Every team has a flaw. I, yeah. Oh, of course. That's a good point. Yeah. I do think you want to be, have multiple threats from, especially going against very good playoff defenses, you want to have multiple threats all over the floor and multiple aspects to your offense and that's a big reason we're excited about chris i'm shocked people a lot of the arguments are like you know is the fit there and things like that and they remind me of the articles on when durant joined golden state go back and look yeah you can find all these articles like how they shouldn't have done it and it's there they were obviously absurd and the articles on us and whether or not James and Chris can work, I think are pretty crazy. I think too. the only
0: thing is the usage rate thing. That was my biggest fear of it, yeah. is that it's two guys that succeed the most when they have the ball.
3: Right, and, and my Curry point... Curry
0: plays off the ball, so the, the sharing the ball thing, I always thought it was going to hurt, like, Clay Thompson the most.
3: Here's why it'll work. Like, either next to Chris or James, you need you need guys who can, who can shoot. Like, the fact that both of them shoot at a very high rate is pretty key. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, Chris... Uh, being a very very good defender is also key. So uh, both of them work off the ball really well, uh, even though they're two of the best all the time on the ball. So I, I, we're very comfortable it'll work. I mean, just look at USA Basketball. They they you know I was they gonna make say they, yeah. when
0: you have two of the best fifteen guys in the league. <laughs> when the or USA
3: Basketball teams up forty, no one's like, oh, I wonder if it'll work with right. uh, you know whether you know Steph James and you know Chris Paul can work. Yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah. They're all, the other thing is they're both extremely smart players. So they're going to adapt. They're going to adapt to each other really well.
0: So the, uh, going back to the late 2000s, the, the model that you had, the draft model, yeah. which I always used to make fun of you well, about. Well, you got
3: to give a lot of credit to Mike Zarin as well. We, we yeah. had an early version and then Mike came in and really, uh, really took it to the next level did you
0: feel like other teams figured out what the model was eventually yeah
3: yeah, yeah teams have caught up because i figured um, it out in like three years yeah we feel i used
0: to send you texts making fun of <laughs> i know you were like, you're like you're taking model. this
3: guy you were always right yeah <laughs> so, mike and i try to predict each other's picks every year it's pretty yeah. funny um yeah no i most i mean we obviously feel like we're farther ahead but it, yeah the the edge is much smaller like there's the difference between, better model and slightly better model is way different than better model, no model. Right. Right. So, so that edge is really eroded and, and, you know, we're having to adapt and our thinking has adapted as well.
0: In the mid two thousands, late two thousands too, you guys did a lot of some of the stuff you were doing with like where guys like to make shots on the floor Mm -hmm. and this guy's great from this spot and he's not good from this spot. Not a lot of teams were doing that back then. Right.
3: No, yeah, and I, I think that's caught up too. That's yeah, A lot up. of the, that helps defenses a lot. obviously. Yeah. more maybe more than offenses, and uh, a lot of that it really advanced work on scouting reports, um, and and uh, you know, and having a coaching staff that knows how to use it. That's 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 still coming as well. Um, but we, have, yeah, I have a great coaching staff now. Even though Mike, obviously. As far along in his career he's always been a pioneer. Yeah. And uh, he surrounded himself with, you know, great assistants who are also very very forward-thinking guys. So
0: The most controversial trade you made early that people killed you on was Battier for Gay. Yes. You could have taken Rudy Gay. You could have drafted him. What was that, 2006? We actually were going to take Tabo
3: Cephalosha, not even Rudy Gay. Oh, you like, weren't even going to take Rudy yeah, Gay? Yeah, wow. I wasn't technically in charge, so it was uh, Carol Dawson was still the GM. Hmm. Um, and uh, Dennis Lindsay was there. who has gone on to be unbelievable with Utah, as you know. And, yeah, I, think, I mean, honestly, I don't know for sure who Carol was going to take, but uh, as far as I could tell, we were on the pace to take. Tabo to Carol's credit, he was trying to move up to get Brandon Roy. He had yeah. that really pegged really well, and uh, and if you know, but we were going to take Tabo actually, and wow, uh, so
0: yeah. But we, you were pushing for Badia, right? Your whole staff. I was, was.
3: pushing for Shane because yeah. we we felt like with Yao and Tracy in their prime. Shane was like, it was actually really hard to enter the ball to Yao. We needed a guy who could be a defender next to Tracy. And we needed a guy who had height and could shoot the three and could enter the ball to Yao. And honestly, we needed a great, uh, an extra culture guy who was going to be good. So we were, we pushed hard for that. And honestly, yeah, analytically, that's actually not a good move. Um, Hmm. But we felt like. Analytically,
0: because of what?
3: I think. You generally can get more value at the eighth spot than you maybe could get. But we felt like, as he had a long contract with people didn't like, but we liked that. He had like yeah. another five years on his deal uh, from Memphis. And we felt like he was the perfect fit. I, I think it ended up being right uh, when you go back. But um, I would say if you ask like the Sloan Conference, should you trade the eighth pick for Shane back then? I bet like 80% would say don't do it. Yeah. Back like at the what time. would be the
0: equivalent now? It would be like if the Knicks traded. The eighth pick for who?
3: Yeah. um, I probably I might not be able to use current players, but it would be like, you know, maybe, who's a perfect... I'm trying to
0: think of a current player. Well, I
3: can talk about one. So, P.J. Tucker would be like trading eighth pick for like a perfect right. win the title glue guy. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. obviously think P.J.'s can do that for us. Yeah. So but that, that was a
0: weaker be- draft, too, though, the 06. This this draft uh, now
3: is Yeah, it had Aldridge. It had it was it was a tough draft to nail the picks. You know, Bargnani went first. I think that Ty year. Thomas was involved. Ty Thomas was two and then there was like a yeah, the Portland. Something traded the team. Randy Foy pick for Sebastian Telfair. Uh that, that was rough. Yeah. Did we? I don't
0: remember doing that. Oh, that was yeah. that was a different year, wasn't it? No, that it? was
3: 06. Well we didn't did we get Telfair? I don't
0: they know. they flipped it for uh Oh
3: we retraded Telfair maybe. Yeah. No, we got that. I think you're mixing years. I don't remember. Foy was in that draft, though. That's right. No,
0: no, that was the draft. Huh? And they ended up, they had, like, I think maybe it was LaFrance's contract, which they flipped for oh, no, no, Sorghex's contract. I was in you were gone at I was that, already that point. Houston. Yeah, you yeah, were yeah, gone. So
3: this could have all happened. I, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, man, I don't remember that. No,
0: the draft you were in, yeah, that yeah. was the great Celtics what if, was when Danny really wanted Robert Swift and offered the two first round picks. And Seattle said no, and they had to settle for Al Jefferson who ends up being in the KG trade, which is the two thousand and eight title. You I'll, need to I'll get lucky it, with these things. I
3: was in the room, but I don't think I can comment on the whole the whole thing. But That's yeah, that obviously getting Al Jefferson was was huge and I didn't know Al Jefferson from anything. If I had any role back then, it was just doing working on the college model and not the high schoolers. Right. So. I
0: think that was 04. Uh yeah, that was you 04. need to get lucky sometimes. You yeah, hey, really do.
3: I mean, you got to give credit to Danny for nailing the pick. You, you know, yeah. whether or not Robert Swift was the guy they wanted, he still nailed the pick. Wait, this was
0: 14 years ago. You're acting like, what, what is Danny Ainge going to find you? <laughs> that was the story. They wanted Robert Swift. Uh, hey man, maybe if he goes to Boston, maybe his career is different. Who knows?
3: Robert Who Swift knows was, was someone that, that Danny Ainge wanted. That's correct. Yes.
0: Well, he learned his lesson. Now he knows to go for game. But,
3: but, but here's the thing. That's hindsight. Like, Robert Swift could have worked out. Like, no one knew at the time. This
0: is the problem of the draft. My issue that I've always gotten in trouble with, with guessing with guys, high schoolers, foreign guys. There's just no way to know. Like, Frank Frank Nitalinka, who you can't talk about because he's on another team. But it's like, he went eighth over Malik Monk, and I went crazy because I love Malik Monk, and I just think he's going to be a great pro. And I don't know with this guy who was in France who was averaging four points a game in France. Maybe the upside's higher, but... If I'm picking eighth, I want to make sure I get somebody. You know, that's one one nice thing
3: about, you know, never picking high because, you know, our worst record number is like, It it is, you know, those picks like six through 12. I mean, so here's the thing, here's the hard thing. It's really not fair to the GMs who pick there. Like, let's say you pick five, right? Yeah. The owners, Don't judge, like, did you get a good pick at five relative to other fifth picks in history, which is, you know, a shockingly low rate make it. I think only, like, 40% end up being pretty good. They judge it like, is the fifth pick better than the next 55 picks? You have no chance being next, almost no chance. Your odds of, at the fifth pick, being better than the next 55 are, like, three percent or four i'm making numbers up now i didn't analyze it but it's a really low damn percentage so like you're you're almost screwed picking five six seven you you like
0: i remember when i did the 2013 draft for espn so i really threw myself in the draft i knew everybody
3: interviewed the guy oh yeah we did the job interview so i
0: really had hardcore opinions Was that
3: grantland or was it espn it was grantland and espn yeah. yeah.
0: yeah and uh and I remember thinking like...
3: was you were in Chicago interviewing guys. We went to like, Chicago. I, yeah,
0: yeah. I was telling you my experience after, and I was yeah. like, I like this guy, I like this guy, yeah, this guy yeah. scared me. But um, but I remember leaving that draft going, man, I don't know who the number one pick from this draft, the best guy from this draft six years from what now is going to be. What was the 13 draft? Was- so
3: it was Giannis. Oh, yeah.
0: So Giannis is in that draft. I remember yeah. we Jalen you- and I both really liked CJ McCollum. Yeah. Um, who ended up going 10th I like liked the o- interview I really yeah. liked Depot. Yeah he was a great interview But Giannis We're studying these YouTube clips And Jalen's convinced It's like 9 foot rims We're watching these like Hazy Greek YMCA videos And he just looks much bigger Than anyone else And we're like We're talking to Fran Frisella Like Frisella Yeah And we're like How does anyone know If Giannis is going to be good At basketball Like yeah there's
3: I saw him live twice, once in a practice in Greece. Our international scout, Marco, did a great job identifying him. And, like, you know, he was there with his two brothers, younger brother and his older brother. And, I mean, he he looked amazing, but, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, it's just like a practice, basically. And then I saw him, most of the league saw him. There was Treviso International Camp, and you had to drive, like, two hours. You could go see him on the national team, play a game, Right around that time in June, and I saw him there. That was it live. Saw a lot of video. Real tough. I mean, I was actually really surprised Philly didn't take him because um, they ended up taking the Rookie of the Year, so they did fine. But but because he was like this super high upside for bet, the process, yeah, had, it made we more had sense. We had bet that he might take him because we were like super high upside, may as well go for it.
0: We didn't know. We thought Schroeder was going to be the first like guy, foreign guy. Mm-hmm. In that range,
3: yeah, oh, I and saw him live,
0: and yeah, Giannis felt like he was going to go like somewhere between eighteen and twenty-two, and and yet you kind of felt like somebody might take a swing at him, Yeah. and then he went fifteen, and yeah, John but that's Hamm. the thing. So John now Hamm that's did a great job, yeah. So that. that's the number one guy in that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that goes it's back to your point. It's actually been a really though.
3: interesting period lately. I think the last five or seven drafts have actually gotten players outside the lottery that are, are just near franchise outside guys. that have been franchise guys, which is super rare when you, when you look back prior to that little set with, you know, those guys, there was like, it was really just like maybe one or two ended up being like even all stars outside of maybe pick 20. So
0: yeah. Cause like Kawhi at 15, that was another big one. Uh, go bear, who gets sold
3: the good that draft no one had right like if you you'd like was that Jokic too no that was later but if you invert like if you invert that draft you almost pick better if you go 30 to (laughs) 1 right yeah invert that draft like go back and look it's great like that i i I talked about this the michael lewis piece that draft i think was like the one I was off the most. Really? Yeah. I think it was that one. I don't remember.
0: Jokic was another one. I mean, it does seem like every year there's at least one guy outside the top My favorite is when
3: we we did it with Chandler Parsons, and I think it happened with Jokic because I think they had other picks. And I think even uh, Bob Myers has been humble about the Draymond pick that they had picks ahead of it. It Didn't take them So, like, actually our owner is super smart. Leslie came to me after we picked Chandler 38 that year. And he was obviously like one of the top five guys in the league till he got hurt. I mean, from that draft till he got hurt. And, um, he, we had two picks ahead of it. And like, uh, Leslie, our owner was like, you guys really messed up. And, 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 and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you like, yeah, you had two picks ahead. We could have lost Chan- You yeah, know, We could have lost him. And I was like, would you believe I knew he'd make it to 38? <laughs> <laughs> <You're right. laughs> and, and he was like, "No." I was like, "No, you shouldn't believe it because I, I didn't know." Yeah. So, did I mean, you feel
0: um? Do you feel a bias like those first few years with the GM? With like, the, were the GMs condescending with you, or how'd that go? The you first. You know what? Couple years? No,
3: it, it, the GMs. I would say the big difference is when we compare to like baseball, because you know the baseball guys from the analytics that were coming in and like telling everyone that they, they were wrong. Everything's wrong. Right. Yeah. And so that was a tough sell when, when by the time basketball really started looking at analytics, a lot of our analysis was like making coaches feel better because like guys like Shane Badia, they averaged like eight points and five rebounds, but coaches loved him. They're like, I think this guy's really helping. Yeah. A lot of the advanced analytics said like guys like Shane are worth a lot more than you think. So you, So, when you have a message that's more like, hey, you're right, but here's a few areas where you could improve, that's different than like, you've been wrong your whole life, you idiot. (laughs) Like, that was baseball. Yeah. So, the basketball integration was a little bit easier because a lot of the coaches were, you know, you knew that points, rebounds, and assists wasn't really a great way to evaluate players. They just knew it, and and then now these new things like adjusted plus minus and things like that were saying the same thing. They believed. So that do you helped.
0: believe in chemistry more than you did twelve years ago? Because we yeah. this is our this has been our biggest argument over the years.
3: <laughs> I do, especially. I would say I would nuance. So when you have a team like we have, you know, trying to win the title, chemistry is really like I I did probably underrate it. Um, I still don't think it's important when you're like, you know. When, when you're awesome? When you're Philly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got I got you. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like people worry about, you know, like uh, when Philly – I'm not saying Philly now, but I'm saying Philly when, when Sam was there, like he was getting beat up for not worrying about chemistry. Like if you're going to win 15 games, like that, does it really matter how you do it? Like, I mean, <laughs> like so. But I, I do – yeah. I, luckily, it all starts with your best player, and James has been – a great leader and I've been blessed that way. But yeah, we, I probably, especially when the team's really good, I focus on it a lot. So
0: when you started getting um, attention, notoriety, I nicknamed you lovingly Dork Elvis I know, I love song it. conference. Yeah. You become,
3: it was like your Trump nickname for me. Or something. <laughs> it was endearing. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, and the song conference takes off and you become kind of the face of the basketball analytics movement did you feel like there was resentment from the other GMs? Cause I always heard, I always heard like people were like, all right, enough of this Daryl Morey. We,
3: we've yeah. had it. I mean, they're right. There should, you know, I should, I should shut up more. I mean, that's true. I just true. You don't say
0: you've been better lately. No, but
3: my personality as I'm, yeah, people like expect me to be one thing. I'm very, I'm different than what anyone expects. And like, they think I'm going to be like just a very imper you know, introverted guy i'm not yeah and uh and so yeah i think i think my yeah i think i'd talk too much but you know it is i think that's you just, talk. you
0: might have done too much in the past i don't think okay. i think you have the right balance as now. long as
3: i'm on the bill simmons show it's fine basically. no it's you've,
0: you've had this. how many big interviews have you done you haven't done that many no not 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 many so i think kyle i almost feel like this is like bs podcast worthy I don't know if I want to give this to the Ringer NBA show. I might just have to save this for like three weeks from now. <laughs>
3: Vernon's gonna be mad. Yeah,
0: screw, <laughs> screw that guy. I'm gonna keep this for myself. Um, the uh, I I do think there's a balance. I think like Sam, who I know you're friends with, and yeah. I know him well too. I thought he became too kind of Howard Hughes-ish and I think it hurt him. I think he could have been out there a tiny bit more and massaged the media a little bit better.
3: Well, if you know it's going to end, how it's going to end, he would say for sure. I think he felt like he had ownership support there to execute on the plan. And part of the plan was to, you know, not be as out there, especially during the downtimes. Yeah. And, you know, they obviously that was Sam can be more communicative. It's just he thinks it's better for the team, especially at that point. I don't need to defend him. He could come on, it, especially at that point when he was there, it didn't make sense to be that community. I, and that said, like if he knew that he didn't have the support that he thought he had, I'm sure he would have been out there more. Right. I yeah. mean, like, cause he's pretty good too. No, he is. You know, I, th- I he, think he, he could have handled he, it. He, he, he absolutely could have. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, someone will give him a shot. He could obviously help. I think a lot of teams. So
0: do you see more teams imitating that?
3: A hundred percent. Like, especially at Golden State, it's like a juggernaut, man. Like if you, if you don't have, I mean, like we're trying to close that gap and we got James Harden and Chris Paul and we're hoping to be a 60 win team. That's a huge bar in the West. I think the West is going to be strong. Normally if you could get to 55, 60 win team, that gives you a real shot to win the title. Yeah. Now, like if we win 60, we're still going to be like one in six at best probably in vegas usually that's like almost a 40 percent chance you're 15
0: to you 1 odds right now
3: yeah that's depressing man why would you yeah so are we really 15 to 1 right as we sit here i yeah. thought we might get to like at least ten. now you're one. 15 to 1 which you know, book which, which all one? of them
0: people believe in the
3: warriors yeah i understand i mean they yeah. have
0: the second best player in the league who might even be the first best player in the league in 12 months and they have one of the best shooters of all yeah, time. We don't need and to go through. This. Draymond Green's really good, and <laughs> they brought everyone back. And I, I would mean, say it's a problem.
3: We got James Harden in his prime. You know, we're going for it. So, but as Paul, I, as I said before, like, look, you've been in sports long enough. There have been way bigger upsets than you know. And in fact, you know, obviously, Cleveland beat Golden State two years ago, so we know it's possible. Well, the um, injury
0: luck in the NBA is is the most dramatic of any sport.
3: Right. Yeah. It's like it's, overnight you can lose a guy and you're done. It's, I would say almost, I don't know
0: what the exact rate is, but I would say at least every other year an injury has swung that title in some
1: way.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, you if couldn't you look say at that the, any other sport. The Warriors were the best team. If you look at the, the first title they won, like they, they didn't face the starting point guard of, I think, any team the entire playoffs of right. my memories, right? Yeah. Cause Pat Beverly was out. Kyrie was out. Tom, right. Uh, Conley was out. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, and again, like, and then to last year, you know, they, the Warriors they were the weren't, a, they weren't 100%. No. I mean, they had all their guys on the floor, but I don't think the whole team no, was. No, Bogut was
0: gone. Curry was on, you know, when you watch him a year later, you realize how hurt he was in 16. Yeah. But yeah, it's tough. Injuries, you never know. Yeah. But yeah. nobody believes in us factor is always strong. Yeah.
3: Hey, we, I learned that one from you. We're just, got that going. We did. No one believes in us, Bill.
0: No, you got to get that going. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to cover. Oh, this is the last part about just doing your job and things you've learned. Dealing with the media, Twitter, leaks, just this whole culture now of people are just so desperate for information all the time, 24 seven, which is not what it was like 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff getting out that might not be true or interest or interest that maybe you had that you're hoping wasn't get out. And now that gets out. How does that changed your job?
3: Uh, it's, it's been like a boiling of the frog. Like, like you don't really notice any key shift or whatever. So, uh, it's always been something, yeah, I don't have a key moment where I'm like, this is where things, this is where things changed. Um, I would say a lot of that stuff really helps us. If you're a destination city like Houston, one of the reasons I'm out front with the media, uh, I, and, and, um, you know, we, you know, we, You know, there's a lot of stuff written about the Rockets. That helps us recruit free agents. It really does. And like, even meeting with the guys we met with, we met with one prominent guy in the last couple days. Went back to his team. Like, even a lot of his comments were around, you know, how forward-thinking the owner is, how forward-thinking the organization has been for years, how how forward-thinking Mike D'Antoni's been. And you know, I loved
0: Air on the BS podcast. That was
3: important. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. They don't mention that? I oh, they did mention that. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, but I, you know, the fact that we have a stable or and our, our owner just, you know, re upped all the key people at our team, I think really does help us in free agency. And so that's where the media, I think, can really help your team recruit free agents. So,
0: so for the players you would rank it, they, they're looking at City. Just where the city is. I would say no.
3: Number one is what star are they pairing with among the prominent? Oh, interesting. Star first. Star first. Star one, two, three. Okay. Then owner slash culture. Four is city slash organization. Okay. So it's like, you know, just they're they're the players are getting smarter. They're looking less at the coach and more at like the owner. Because you look at like, everyone's like, why is the West on top all these years? Yeah. The owners are better. I mean, like there's exceptions, obviously Celtics have amazing owner and I'll forget some others in the East that have great owners. I don't know if you you did, but you look, you look one through at least 11 in the West. And these are like owners that have been really good. And that, that's the difference. So the, I think so. Four is like owner and organization, and then five is probably and city. Sort of like all, co- I'd say tied, Owner, organization, and city, and then and then and then coach is I'd say coach, owner, organization, and city are like tied. And superstars like one, two. Three.
0: What about uh, income tax? Ha! Huh. That's a good one for you, Texas <laughs> that, that and may, Florida.
3: Yeah, that maybe it's got a factor that a little bit discussed a lot. Yeah, we had a prominent free agent. I'd say like two years ago, who like was asleep. The whole meeting and then woke up when we showed them the tax savings. So, oh, really? Like, yeah. Yeah. That one didn't work out. So, I that's hilarious. It was, yeah. Barbecue so. is up there. Oh, uh, we have great barbecue. Yeah. Is that so. like number eight? Uh, I think it's pretty far down the list. Uh, is it ahead of gentlemen? clubs? Uh, clubs ahead talk- or bit? I would say all the stuff Jalen talks about. <laughs> Champagne and campaign? It's <laughs> a little bit higher up than the barbecue. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, you could get in Houston, you could live right outside the city and have a house that's like, what fifty thousand square feet? Yeah. I mean You could have a giant ranch.
3: No, we we show the players like so if you want like so a um f let's say a five to ten million dollar house in like say the Bay Area or something is yeah. is like eight hundred grand in Houston or right. something. Like in a in a nice area. So Jesus You can get like twenty thousand square feet houses like Tracy McGrady still has in Sugarland for, you know, like a million and a half or something like that.
0: So Wait, I had one last, last question. Um, I feel like the NBA owners are smarter than the NFL owners.
3: I don't know the NFL owners. So, so and here's to comment.
0: And here's why. I think the NFL owners, a lot of old school money, older guys build it the old way. And it feels like these NBA owners that are coming in now, and now you have almost half the league full of them, these guys that... Made money like through tech or some sort of new wave industry. They're younger. They think differently. They take chances. Do you feel that in the league? Like since you, yeah, I think the the owners are years? smarter
3: and they're hiring better people. And uh, I do think I do think that change is is really happening. Yeah, absolutely. And like Adam wants great owners. I want terrible owners. So yeah, I want more bad owners. <laughs> you league. really
0: you need at least you need at least six. Teams that don't know what they're doing is your dream, if not
3: more. Like your, your know, dream would
0: be twenty teams that don't know what they're <laughs> at doing.
3: least. Well, I think you've seen the poker analogies. Yeah. Like, like if you're the one shark and it's all minnows at the table, you clean up. But if you just had one more shark, like all the profits is divided by two, basically. So, even adding one marginal good owner like hurts like our ability to compete like in a big way. So,
0: yeah. Well. It doesn't seem like it. Just seems like the rule of the NBA is there's always going to be a couple.
3: You, you haven't had your. Wouldn't your bad owner summit coming? You always have oh your bad God. GM summit, but you could. The that bad, could be like a four-hour. The bad
0: owner summit would be a long. You want to get article. hired by him,
3: so you're not going to do a bad owner summit. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a long ass owner summit thing. I do know that they don't like when I make fun of the owners.
3: They they don't. The I've,
0: league the league doesn't like that.
3: Yeah. I don't
0: blame them, because you know who owns the you league? Were hard the on,
3: you were hard on the Clippers in that article a little bit, so, to me.
0: Yeah, I think so.
3: <laughs> Did I, they I, cancel your season tickets yet? No, or, I, no,
0: I really like Ballmer. He came in, yeah. and I, I think he's a smart guy. I think I think he's starting to realize that he he's hit a point that I think a lot of NBA owners hit at some point, where they're like, I own the team. I should be making all these decisions and then delegating to somebody you know, I think the ones that turn things over to other people tend to regret it for the most part. One like your I, owner is involved in everything, always right? Always
3: involved. The one thing I talk about, people don't realize it's really important to have an active, involved owner. Yeah. Uh, the... The whole thing where you don't want owner involved, I think, was created by coaches like 30 years ago. Like, Well, because the
0: owners were dumber back then. They were guys that just were waltzing in and being like,
3: hey, let's trade for Bob McAdoo. I can't comment on that, but this is a couple things I say on that. Look, one, the owners are the only people who have the the fans' interest perfectly aligned. <laughs> They're going to own the team a long time. The fans are going to be a fan a long time gm's come in and you've seen it like they're like they have like two more years on their deal and they're like yeah. trading like seven draft picks for like that kills the team yeah. and that's where you want your owner to step in and and um you also want the owners even to hire smart guys but then ask a lot of questions because hopefully i'm decent at my job there's a bunch of other like but he is always asking me questions like what about this what about that what about this and it's and it's he is the reason the Rockets have been like the second best team in the league for the last twenty years. Like we've had a good run while I've been there, but really, look at it's gone who, back
0: to like '92.
3: Yeah, he's back to. Yeah, I think he owned it '93, two titles, and yeah, if you go back to then, I think we're the fourth best record and two titles
0: and re- and some really bad luck with Yao.
3: Well, yeah, actually,
0: I mean that I, Yao is somebody that could have been one of the best forty players of all time, and. I think got run into the ground by his country.
3: Well, it's actually one of my things I remember with our owner when Yao got hurt in the second round of the playoffs against the Lakers. The year I thought we could beat him, took him to seven games, even without Yao. Uh, Yao went down, and we were worried this might be it. Right? He he came back and played five more games, but that was, yeah, he wasn't. That was pretty much it. And uh, you know, I was talking to Mr. Alexander. I said, "Hey, you know, poor Yao, or whatever." He's like, "Yeah, I really feel bad for Yao, but..." what about the fans? Like, what about like, it's not just, Yao. obviously that's who we we're thinking about at the time, but it's, it's all the fans who have put so much into it and everything like that. So it was, uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I was just worried about Yao and his foot and everything. And, yeah, and, and he, he, again, owners are the only ones who only, you know, coaches, you know, if they make it four years, they're lucky should get longer 10 years probably. But, uh, and GMs make it like six to 10 years usually, It's only the owners who care that you're giving away all your, you know, draft picks and everything like active, smart owners beats, beats uninvolved owner any day of the week.
0: Daryl Morey. This was good.
3: 12 years of the Rockets now. So coming up on 12. Yeah. uh, Oh, six to now.
0: And you never really had a dalliance with another team, right?
3: No, I would never. You're would a never loyal leave. dude. I would never leave. You know, Leslie gave me my shot. You married
0: uh, the first girl I ever kissed you. You stayed that's with the actually, same NBA. Sadly,
3: team. not the first kiss, but <laughs> it's damn close. My the first one I went out with at Northwestern, though. Yeah, Ellen. So yeah. you're a loyal guy. I'm. I'm. I'm very. You loyal. saved your
0: best podcast performances for my podcast, which I appreciate. I
3: yeah, I have to admit, I'm a better podcast it,
0: host than Woosh.
3: That's not close actually. Yeah. I love Woj. He's great at what he does. But <laughs> yeah. Like... Suck it Woj. You might've broken every story. <laughs> yeah. He's like literally the king of basketball, but yeah, no, I yeah. mean, you're great at podcasts and writing. He's great at breaking stories, you know? so
0: Woj. Yeah. Now Woj is going to get his revenge on me. He's going to destroy me. <laughs> I like Woj. I get along with Woj. Uh, ESPN's Adrian Woj you're asking I now? know.
3: Uh, the, they I all, never all, predicted the, that. The,
0: unbelievable.
3: Came to the mothership, man. So. They,
0: they, sometimes they just target people and they go grab them. Yeah. Um, Daryl Morey.
3: Thanks. This appreciate was it. fun. Thank you. Good luck. Uh, I don't know when we're
0: running this, but good luck with the rest. Good luck finding your minimum, guys. <laughs> <I>
3: appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, bye.
0: Thanks to Cousin Sal. Thanks to Tate. Thanks to Daryl Morey. Thanks to the other Ben Simmons. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com. Thanks to ringer.com Check us this week as we dive headfirst into uh, Black Panther, Oscars, NBA second half of the season, NFL free agency is coming, spring training, all that stuff. And thanks to Gillette. Get Gillette performance delivered to your door. No more getting mad at yourself because you just got back from the grocery store and you realized you forgot to buy blades. God, I hate that. Subscribe today. Pick your favorite razor. Get every fourth order free. Visit Gillette online at GilletteOnDemand.com Wednesday, we'll put it up Late Night Tuesday, Parent Corner Part 2, the sequel until
2: then